This is Veteran State of Mind. I'm your host, Geraint Jones. Uh, we've got we've got uh, we've got two prototypical names here. We got Geraint Jones from Wales today, and we have John Smith from England. <laughs> we are not acting under assumed names. Um, I assure you. Before we get into who our guest is today, because it could be anyone, could he really? Uh, before we get into it, I want to say a big thank you to Combat Fuel for sponsoring today's episode. You know the score by now. Go Jekyll and Hyde. You get your pre-workout, you get your pump-up, you mix them all together, you get skin-tearingly vascular, um, you get a great session in. We are in a time where, obviously, who knows what's going to be the score by the time this podcast goes out, because things are changing every few minutes, but um, gyms are closed, gyms are open, weather's dark, all this stuff. You got to train, guys. Bottom line is, you got to find a way to train. Um, and personally, I'm not going to lie, I find it a lot harder to train at home than I do in a gym. I think when I go to the gym, it's a bit like a switch getting thrown. But the fact is, still got to train at home. Um, and I found the pre-workout to to help me. <laughs> Basically, when you take one of these pre-workouts, it's almost like it's like it's like jumping out of a plane. At that point, you've got no no choice but to go through your drills and deploy your parachute. Have you? You can't just wrap in at that point. So I like to take a pre workout because then I'm kind of committed. Because otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting on the uh, sofa scratching at my skin like a, a a meth addict. So get on the pre workout. There's loads of good stuff in there. I can't say the words. They've got big long names. But if you check them out. Um, just trust me. Trust me, it works. Trust me, you'll enjoy the uh, pump. And trust me, you'll enjoy the vegan protein. Oh, you know what else you'll enjoy as well? They have um, these bars in stock, uh, Combat Fuel, from, uh, it's called Mountain Mountain Joe is the company. Uh, absolutely essence, gorgeous bars. There's white chocolate, they've got brownies, um, they've got dark chocolate ones. Um, this is how good they are. So um, I got some boxes and I was five bars deep on the first day. Um, they are absolutely delicious. They've got high protein content, low sugar content, um, and then like a decent balance of fat in there. So you're not going to get, you don't like, I, I had one, we recorded a couple of episodes today. Um, I had one in the middle, takes away any hunger pangs or anything like that and allows me to give you the podcast that you all love and I love bringing to you because I love your faces so, so much. Also want to say thank you to Zulu Alpha Straps, for making bombers watch straps for Ali blokes and supporting a podcast for Ali blokes and Ali lasses and Ali whatever you are, we support you. Zulu Alpha Straps support us. Um, I use Zulu Alpha Straps myself. I have been in a position of looking like an absolute mug in the past when my watch straps have broken and I've ended up losing my watch. Piss me off. Not a problem anymore because I use Zulu Alpha straps. I reckon their Blackbeard strap is one of the sexiest watch straps I've ever seen. Never, never, never would have thought in my life that I would be aroused by a watch strap, but I was wrong. Stay open-minded sexually. You'll never, never know what's going to come your way. Zulu Alpha straps, thank you for making such delicious-looking straps, and thank you for supporting the podcast. I highly recommend you follow them on social media because they have... Um, they have some pretty awesome photos. One of my favourite ones they come out with is quite often they'll have photos of um, like aviators. I got I'm, like their aviators come in to land on aircraft carriers, and I I am a little bit alarmed that these air aviators are taking pictures of the Zulu Alpha straps rather than concentrating on landing on a floating object on the ocean. That is a little bit worrying. I wouldn't want to be in the back of that helicopter. However, I do benefit from the nice photos on the back end of it. So check out Zulu Alpha Straps, guys. Check out Combat Fuel, at Combat Fuel, at Zulu Alpha Straps. They made it really easy for you. And we made it really easy too by linking them up in the show notes. So click them. Remember, if you go to Combat Fuel, use the code VSOM. Um, 
yeah, using both guys, but using both myself, wouldn't try and sell you anything I wouldn't use myself unless I got paid a lot of money to do it, in which case I will sell you broken glass that you will drink. Um, right, today's guest. Today's guest is what I would refer to as a bullet magnet. Um, he, he fought in Iraq, and I said fought in Iraq because, as you will hear in the podcast, it was fighty time. Uh, fought in Afghanistan, did a lot of work around the world as a contractor. What we are concentrating on today is... Um, well, first of all, we talk a lot a bit. We kind of got diverted to begin with because, um, well, I drank a lot of coffee. Uh, shout out shout out to Striker Coffee for sending me this door kicker coffee because I do feel like I've railed a massive line of a white substance. Um, so the um, we the beginning of the conversation, we talk a lot a bit, just a bit about childhood and, and that kind of thing and like how childhood now is maybe a bit different to what it was when me and him were growing up living in windmills. Um, and also then we, we get into, uh, we were both in te- um, on Operation Telic 10. So we were in Iraq in, in and around Basra in 2007, uh, the summer there. Um, he was with four rifles. I was with two raw Welsh. So we were basically operating kind of together on a lot of the same ops. And um, it's a period that I do not think that enough people know uh, that people do not know enough about because the fight in there was very heavy, as you will hear from uh, from from John. And uh, I, I really want people out there to to you know to to hear about this. Um, yesterday was Remembrance Sunday. And there was a lot of people that died in this in Iraq in this period, and I, I do not think people understand enough about it. So that's kind of the meat of what we're going to today. So without any more of my uh, jabbering away, please give a very warm welcome to John Smith. John, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me on. You're welcome, mate. It's an honour. It's a day after Remembrance Day. Personally, I haven't got a hangover. How about you? No hangover on this side, mate. Mad, isn't it? What's going on? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's unusual. What you what what do you what do you usually do for Remembrance Day? Uh, most of them have been deployed away. Right. This is the first time I think these last two years that my is my only two years I've had off, um, as far as I can remember. And obviously, this one has been affected massively with what's going on. And so normally I'm deployed, so we don't do much. We have a remembrance parade while we're away. Uh, which is a nice thing. We sometimes we used to go down to the old. Don't know if you know it, the British Cemetery in Kabul. We used to go there, take some uh, diplomats there. And it was a very nice thing to do. You could see the some of the memorials from time ago. So, but this year I just went to my little local um, monument in uh, Ormskirk, Lancashire, and just went there. There's a few fellas there. Everything was quiet. No one spoke to no one. Uh, just. It was good. You know what, actually, it was good to have a bit of time to myself and have a little think. Um, so it was nice. How, how did that go then? Like, was there a service or everyone, or, or what? Like, people just turned up and then, like, shut up at 11 o'clock? Or how did it go? There's about five people there, mate. Right. Yeah. A um, couple of ex-servicemen, a couple of old fellas. And I just kept myself to myself. They all did. And a, few, uh, a couple of flowers are laid out. And that was it. It was just, it was, you know, what? it was a good period of reflection on my own. Mm. So I quite enjoyed it. I've never had the, the time to do it, the big London because I've, I've never, I've always been deployed during them. Um, so I've really missed out on that. And it's something I've always wanted to do. I've talked about it loads of people going, would it be great if we could be on for this, you know, the big service, even in Liverpool. Liverpool has a huge service. And this would have been the time for it. And it was just taken away from us. So what are you on a break from the circuit? Are you or are you? Um, I met 
medically retired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, uh, we'll, I think we might get we might get to that if it's tied into all your all your your little ditch, mate. So, do you want to just take us back then to where it all kind of started for you then, military wise? Um, I would say it was about when I was about ten, nine, ten, and I loved action movies. I just love watching Rambo. I love putting cam cream on my face. I love rolling around in the dirt. I was wet constantly. And I come in filthy toy guns. I just had a, I had an armory of weapon of guns as a kid. I just loved <laughs> it. And I suppose that sat in me until my teens. Um, you know, it's like when you get to your teens, you start to do your own thing. You're, you're starting to think for yourself. So a career wasn't, in the military wasn't at the forefront. Because uh, I was just enjoying myself. However, I started working on sites like a lot of lads do from council estates. And I was like, do you know what? don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I still loved watching action movies. So I was like, right, yeah. I'm going to join the military. Um, I was working in Liverpool at the time. On my dinner break, I walked straight down to the careers office. I walked in blindly. And I say blindly because I'd have joined anything, I think. It wouldn't have mattered who got, I think it was just whoever caught me walking in, that's where I was going. Yeah. And luckily for me, there was a Royal Green Jacket recruiting sergeant on the desk. And he just picked me up straight away. And he, he sort of flashed this chosen man card at me. And it's like, do you want to be a chosen man? And that sounded great. I was like, wow, <laughs> very impressionable, young, extremely young and immature 16-year-old. And I was like... Had you, had you ever watched Sharp before no, that happened? never seen it. Never seen, never seen Sharp. Sharp. I have now, obviously. You know what I mean? Yeah. Top green jacket in. Have you got? Have you got like a shrine to him in the in the area somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> a stack of books. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, because uh, I was, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is how come? Because as soon as I heard your accent, I was like, how come you didn't enjoy the Kings, the Kingos? And um, but then there you go, you just uh, you've answered it. It would be whoever whoever grabbed you. Do you reckon that's the case for most people? Do you reckon most people have an idea about who they want to join? I I think nowadays they do because I get a lot of people messaged me on the Instagram and stuff and asked me about, you know, I want to join this regiment. What's the best way? And I, I just got, I don't know, you know, go to the recruiting office and speak yeah. to speak to someone who's in. But I think now with the internet, the age of the internet, uh, you've got more information at hand. I had no information at all. I literally just walked in and just went, I want to join the army. You went, sit down, do the test. I found out I was eligible to join the infantry because I got that much of a high score, they were like, right, you are the guy for us. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny one, because it? it's like, in, in, in one sense, there's more information out now, but in another sense, back then, if you wanted to join, you had to be more proactive about doing it. Now, I'm sure you're the same. I get people messaging me going, how, join, how do I join the army? I'm like, fuck off and find out for yourself. Yeah. Like, I'm not, <laughs> but like, like, it's because there's more information out there. But like b before, I think it was people like, like like you, mate, I grew up playing in the woods. And then it was like, well, well how do I do this for a living? I gotta go out you gotta go out and find the answers. And um I think there's something there's something really good about that because it means that the people that end up there are people that had to take that first step. Rather you know, there's nothing on your phone where it's like adverts popping up saying come to join the army. It's like there had to be that most people that went and did it, there was probably either a family connection was one thing, or there was a spark in you. Yeah. Like, and what, where where do you reckon that spark? Like, where do you reckon that spark comes from? Because 
it, I've seen it myself. I'd, I'd love to know if you've seen the same. I've seen it in people who have got no one in the military in their family. I've seen it in people who are living on council estates. People are living in the fucking, well, not in the woods, but on farms. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's from all over the place. Where do you reckon that comes from? I think for me, for me personally, for me, I was just heavily influenced in film. Right. And it was the action. And I was like, ah, it's adrenaline. You're pumped up. And I was like, that looks like it's good to do in real life. When Later on, we find out it's not like the movies. But that was the spark for me. It always sat with me. I just really, I thought, that's great. You know, jump out, I can jump out of airplanes. I can drive tanks. I can shoot guns. And I was heavily influenced with film even now. I love film. I love watching movies. And, you know, I can, I can my imagination can go away. In, in sort of, in that two hours, I just, you know. So for me, it was that. That that was the spark for me. Um, I think sometimes a lot of it's necessity for people because there isn't another option. I've seen that before. Why do you join? There was nothing else. Yeah. I didn't join because of that. I had, my, I had limited options. I could have went to, you know, community college and stuff and I had an apprenticeship at the time to be a plasterer. And I just didn't want to do that. And I'm watching guys getting good money too, you know. They were paying me nothing as an apprentice. And then I seen what money they were taking in. I was like, wow, all cash, look at that. And I was like, nah, I'm going to join the military instead. What did your parents do? My dad was a career criminal. Right. Uh, I grew up uh, in, I wouldn't say a dysfunctional family. People would call it a dysfunctional. I had a lot of love uh, from my mum. Like lots of love, lots of love. Dad, not so much. Um, he wasn't around. He'd spent time in jail in, in Europe, all over Europe, um, in the UK. Um, he'd spent time traveling Europe with his, with his, with his crew, you know, uh, breaking into jewelers, smashing jewelers down, taking stuff like that. Um, so for me, he was never around that much. He'd be in jail or when he was home, he was out with his friends doing his thing. Uh, but lots of love. So it was a great childhood. I would say it's great, even though it on the on paper it looks very dysfunctional. That never influenced my decision to join the army at all. I think that's a good point, though, mate. Because I know plenty of people who like have parents who you'd look on paper and go like, "Oh, fucking hell, parents are lawyers and and this and that." Who like I got no attention from my parents growing up and stuff. But like, be like, you someone would say to them, well, "Well, you had the best child. Look, look what your parents did. Look how big your house was." It's not about that, though, is it? Like, I mean. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure it's fucking hell, you know, let, let, let's be honest about it. It's um, you, If you have money, it does take a lot of stresses off the table in some ways, but then it adds it adds other. That money's got to come from some places. So if your parents are working all hours, like one of my friends works at a big law firm in America. Um, and, you know, he's saying that the partners at the firm, who you know, like they're, they're the, basically the people that own the company, you know, they are on the road a few hours before daylight and they're at home just in time to see the kids go to bed and it's nannies and that that raise the kids and stuff. So um, so I'm just getting my coffee here, mate, so I'm about to go up a couple of gears. Cheers, Peter. Oh, yes. <laughs> I see. see, I haven't got no one to do that. My kids are upstairs. They're not going to come down and bring me a coffee. Well, mate, but what's the point of having kids if you can't turn them into your, if it's, can't turn them into your <laughs> slaves, mate? I think we need to start adopting the more the third world w- look, way of looking at kids, which is you're here to till the fields. Basically, <laughs> so mate, cool. I never we had nothing at times, like absolutely nothing. But I never wanted for anything. Um, there was times when I went to school in a jag, 
You know, my dad had been out, he'd, he'd done a good gig <laughs> somewhere. Next minute, I'm going to school in a Jag. And then next minute, I'm walking. Aye. And I'm wearing, and there's no money. And I'm wearing high-tech trainees because we can't afford, even though we all, me and you would have happily wear some high-tech walking boots oh, now. Back then when I was a kid, mate. you couldn't wear high-tech when you were a kid, yeah. you know. You got tormented for that. But we had nothing then. But then there were times when we had everything. No, so. Kids are twats, and they when you think about it. <laughs> like when I, when I think back to school, right? I think back to school. <laughs> I think kids are shit, like absolute shit. Like school is not like I don't know about you, mate. I'm not gonna say I didn't have an enjoyable time at school because I did have good times. But I think I've I felt just as much stress going to school as I did going out on patrol. <laughs> quite honestly, more, <laughs> more, more. So yeah, there was times when you just. It just eats up at you when you know there's something going on the next day. There's an incident that you've been in and you know the reaction of the other kids. And I see it now with my own kids. You know, my lad, my youngest lad especially, to every bit of fashion. He's nonstop on his phone looking at the next jacket I've got to buy him or the next pair of pants. And he would never go to school not looking like 100% when Everton brand new and on. Like, and I'm like, Tom, you know, it doesn't, he goes, it does matter. And then I get it. I get it because I remember going to school with, you know, something that was shit and it just wasn't fashionable and kids, you knew you were going to get tormented by other kids. That does hit me. And I, I, I do feel, I don't have, um, I don't have kids. Um, and to be honest, I'm quite glad about that because I can just see how much stressful, how stressful it would be because I know what it was like. Like I said, like I, I'm 37 years old now. So I'm not talking about back in the days, you know, we're not talking industrial revolution here, but there wasn't, there wasn't phones around. I think maybe, just as I was getting to sixth form and stuff was like, um, not, you know, Nokia bricks, right? But here's something for you youngsters listening. It used to cost 10p, right? To send a message to someone, right? <laughs> 10p. So to count yourselves lucky that you can send these messages so easy. But you you didn't have, the, like, when you were in school, you are in school. But then when you are out of school, then there was that break. And you could go and play in the woods with your toy guns or whatever. You, it wasn't constant. And I do think now it must be... I mean, mate, it's, it's hard for you and me to turn off from a phone. And we've got some decades of knowledge behind us that being on a phone all the time is not a good thing. It's still hard to do. So how, how do you do that with your... Like, have you got rules for your kids or anything like that with it or what? You try to implement these rules and you find that you fail at every level. <laughs> um... The time when it's normally when there's when the kids fucked up. Uh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course you are, mate. I, I've just asked. Yeah, it's it's special day of mine, mate. We're very low low brow audience here. Bunch of fucking right, Neanderthals okay. listening. Uh, yeah, I, I, if he, if he's fucked up, he, he loses his phone. Um, but normally, mate, that's that's what they do. Like my kids, the area where we live, they don't have their friends living on the street. They live all around. I mean, West Lancashire bunch of towns in this area so all his mates who he goes to there's no way for them to sort of meet up right. now i don't allow me kids to hang around on street corners i don't allow them out at night in the rain hanging out on like some random feral kids like i grew up i don't allow it he's never been both of them have never been allowed to hang out on the streets i go what for now that's it's easy to it's easy for them to hang out on a street if, if it's your own street just out yeah. there. Like like I grew up on a council estate, but they're not living on council estates now. So they have to go into the centre of town where they've all got to sort of congregate and meet up. I don't want my kid doing that. 
I go, what for? What's there to do there? So you're just going to hang out and that's just going to cause you problems because all the, especially nowadays, we didn't have people getting stabbed. We didn't have people getting jumped. It happened now and then, like people, you know, a little bit of interaction with other yeah. other other groups. But now there's people who, who like, you know, go out specifically looking for trouble um, because they want a reputation. They want this, that, and the other. And I, I just, we never allowed them to. So the computer, the phone, has become that area where they hang out with now. Right. Um and I've tried to say, you know, you, you, you can go out certain areas, you can do this and that. Well, all my mates are on the phone. We're all online together on the mics. Yeah. So to take that away from them then, that is their sort of playground, their forest, like we used to go and hang around the woods and play around. That's where they hang out now. They hang out digitally. It's it's weird. And in all fairness to a mate, this 2020, that's where I've been hanging out with my mates, as of most of us. Yeah. Like last night, I had the American footy on. You know, and I'm texting my mates who are in America, and like that has been a lifeline this year. Well, I, I'll say this as a caveat: I don't think they would have been able to do a lockdown if people didn't have that. Basically, people would have said, "Nah, fuck you, we're not doing it." Yeah, but but that has become a a, a thing now. And but and, but then like again, we're not slagging it off because at the end of the day, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for social media and stuff. But I do, I just I find it very interesting. Did you see that TV that Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma? I did not know. No, so I, I didn't watch it either because I cancelled my Netflix subscription because over the protest. I was having a protest over that QT's thing, which I just think is fucking, <laughs> is mental. It's like, right, we're going to show you exploiting kids isn't good by exploiting kids. That's like, right, we're going to show you an execution of a guy to show you the executions are bad. It's like, just tell me it's bad. I don't need to see it. Um, so I cancelled yeah. it, mate. And um, But I'm listen- I've am i been listening to Joe Rogan did an interview. Not that not I want our listeners all going over Joe Rogan. But <laughs> um, but he did an interview with a guy um, who made the documentary, basically. And it's just talking about... It's, it's not so much that the social media is like a bad thing at all, but it's the way that, like... Your willpower is up against the smartest minds in the world. We're trying to get them. And like, we're both infantry soldiers. I think we like to think we're thinking infantry soldiers, but we'd be mad to say that our intellect is on the same level as the best minds in Silicon Valley. <laughs> you know, so you're, you're up against it. Like, and, and we've also got, like I said, like 20, 30 years experience behind us. A 13 year old does like, if you're like, no, no, look, it's it's not about your willpower. It's about that they've got all these algorithms and this, so they're using artificial intelligence. They'd just be like, shut up, Dad. You just don't want me looking at my phone. That's exactly what you get, often. <laughs> That's exactly what you get. We've uh, we started to, he met my kid best up not long ago. You, all down to mobile phones. And then when I went into his phone, and seen all the other stuff that I've been looking at and stuff. You're like, what? You know, you got to sit there and I had to go through Everton and ask him, why are you looking at this? Why are you looking at that? And you, it's stuff you don't realise they're looking at. Now, I won't go into it too deep here because it, that's his personal business, but it was stuff. I was like, what? And it was like he had a, a total per- different persona online wow. than he does that. And this kid is be- a beautiful kid, you know? You're like, wow, you're such a, like a little angel. Yeah. But I'm like online, you're different, you know, because you're reading texts and the way you're speaking on text. You're like, what? The that's fuck? hard. That's hard one, though, isn't it? The speaking on text one because we've all done it. We've read an email, or like you might be in a bad mood, or or, or something, and someone sends you an email and you read it like, what? How dare they fucking speak to me like that? But they've said it in a completely <laughs> different. They, they've said it in a completely different way to how you take it, and that's why I like doing like we're we, we're recording audio for people listening right now. We're recording audio, but we're having the conversation face to face because. That's how a species has developed. Yeah. 
you know, we're supposed to have these conversations face to face. And I think that I do like, I, I like, you know, I, I think it's a much better when you see someone FaceTiming rather than a kid being on necessarily on the phone all the time and stuff. But I don't know, mate, it's, um, it, it's a weird one. Like, where do you see, like, where do you see this kind of like leading your kids in, in a way like, you know, obviously you've seen your own development from childhood to a young man. Where do you see, what kind of direction do you see you taking you know, like your lad? Uh, I'll talk about my oldest lad then, because this has come up lately, because he's 17 now, and right. he didn't have this, he had my childhood and his childhood totally black and white, totally different, and there was times I go, Ethan, you've got to get out more, you know, you need to learn the world, you're going to be, a, you know, you're a young man, you've got to get out there, you know, you have to get out travel, you know, public transport, learn how to use it. Get out into the city, go into Liverpool yourself and, and interact with, you know, in a city environment, see what it's all about. And he's like, no, I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm like, no, Ethan, you need this. You need to have this experience. You're, you're very immature. You're very clever. The kid's switched on. Academically, he's very clever. I go, but Ethan, you've got no sort of common sense of the world because you, you, you don't go out into it, you know. And that's all down to what we're doing now. He's got a screen in front of him. He loves being in the screen and he, he interacts with people all over the world online. But you put him outside in that environment and he'd be lost. So then recently he decided, well, I'm go I'm going to go and visit my friend in North Carolina. Oh, awesome. And no, I was, I went, what the fuck? No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. I went, no, you're not. You're not going to North Carolina at Christmas on your own. You're 17. And I'm 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 sort of doing the exact opposite because it's not local. Right. I'm going. You can't. Like I've been telling them, you've got to get out there. I left home when I was sixteen, Ethan. I travelled abroad, lived abroad when I was sixteen. <laughs> I did this, and he went. You said you did it all. So what's the difference with me? I'm like, yeah, but we're different. We grew up different. You've got to learn yeah. it here first before you can take that big step and fly to North Carolina on your own, stay in hotels on your own. And he's like, well, I'm doing it, Dad. And luckily for me, the restrictions on traveling, so he's not going. <laughs> so, you know, you know, it's, it's I, I do agree with that point, though, because, I and mean, this is why incremental is so important, because, um, you know, like, when, if you can go to, you, you know, you get to know your own area, and then you get to, you figure out how to use the bus to go to the next town down. And then you figure out how to get on the train to go down to London and you figure out how to go on the tube. And if anything goes wrong, you're not that far, <laughs> you're not that far from home, but you're still in a country where I think with America as well, people don't, yeah, Americans speak like us, but America's a different place to America's not Britain. America is, a, is, is really, really like different. And, and then the estates within America are very different too. Now you don't necessarily need to know the differences between each one, but you definitely need to know that there are differences with each one. You know, recently I drove across, um, I drove from um, California to Chicago with my mate JC and things would, you could just, you could, if you just shut up and listen when you're in different places, you will hear um, very different opinions or so like, for instance, when we were in the middle of the country, it would not have been a good idea for me to start, um, if I'd have come out and, well, let's say I'm not a Joe Biden supporter, but let's say I was, and I had a Joe Biden t-shirt on in the middle of the country, not a good idea. By the same token, when we got to Chicago, would not have been a good idea to wear a Trump t-shirt. You know, you've got to know those, 
those different um you know those different things you go into and i think you're, i think you're right mate you've got to build up to it it's one of the reasons and shout out to any cadets we have listening now i'm such a big up big big believer in the cadet organizations mate i really am because i think that gives them you know it, it, you start to get used to going away and, and moving and stuff do, do, have you ever had any involvement with anything like i haven't no we do have a local cadet force that that you know in my town there um don't see him yeah. that much um but there is Tom's my youngest lad. A few of his friends are in the cadets and the air cadets as well. Uh, but no, I haven't. But what I would say to you is, like you mentioned there, you and JC, you did it together. Now, when you're a kid, you mentioned the increments. We didn't do them on our own. We done them with our friends because yeah. we we hung out in big groups. I know I did. It was like you know ten of us at times. But there was always someone with me. The first time I got the bus, I did it with a friend. First time I got the train, I did. I never did nothing solo on my own. By the time I got to do it solo, I'd had so much experience doing it with my mates. Then it was normal for me to do. You know, the first time I got on a plane, I, I did it going to, to, to join my battalion. But I travelled up and down the country by then on my own, uh, with my friends, then solo on the trains, going to training centres. So getting on the plane, it wasn't that bad doing it on my own and then when you look around actually you're not on your own because you're like oh there's so-and-so from who was on training with you were going to the same battalion together so you're doing it with someone so you're never doing it on your own till you're uh, an adult and by then you've got all that experience you're good to go yeah that, that's a great point mate i do uh, that's that's a very good point um it's one of those things like it's a weird one now there's like literally not many places in the world that i'd be bothered about going on to on my own on you know obviously there's a there's a few like but like I said, you got like that's over twenty something years of building up to it. I mean, that's like an army, like the length of an army career or something. You know, you there's, um, I think I, I think people, if you spend all your time looking at your phone through a screen, you don't have a realistic idea of what the, the world is because you, what you're seeing on a screen is usually one extreme or the other. You're seeing the best of a thing or you're seeing the worst of a thing, and people don't interact in five second clips. You know, like if you have a problem with somebody, like if you're scrolling through Instagram and you go, oh, I don't agree with this person, unfollow what a dickhead. It, you can't just have that in real life. You can't just go, I'm unfollowing you and turn away. <laughs> like that person's not, that person's not going to have that. Um, and and, and I, I think as well as there's a lot of like, here's the other thing as well. You're not mixing with everyone that's had exactly the same thing as you. So it's like, yeah, you might have grown up living through your screen. But that fucking person that you just bumped into on the tube, he might not have been. You mentioned people getting, you know, stabbed and stuff now. I think that's almost like a, a knock-on effect of this living through the screen because there's some people who have that. I think, I, I genuinely believe some people are born to fight. And the people who are like that, they don't want that life through the screen. They want to go out and they want to earn reputation and they want to be warriors and stuff. And I think that because... Like in our kind of era, like in the windmill era, when we were growing up, it was normal for people to have punch-ups, but it was, I never saw a knife in my life. Like, no, no, I never saw no one getting stabbed. But every weekend there'd be a fight. Yeah. And I think it's swung from that one end to the other now. But there's, most people now have never been punched in the face. And I think there's a lot of good that comes from getting punched in the face. Um, but the, the they're so then taken away from what violence actually is that then they think stabbing someone is a good idea. It's like, no, 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 there's a lot of middle ground that you can use. Just choke someone a bit <laughs> or punch them. Yeah. You don't have to go to jump to stabbing, but they're disconnected from everything. That's totally true. I also feel that it's a, 
there's a big social environment aspect that comes into this. Um, like I said at the start, you know, I didn't grow up in a dysfunctional house, but if someone looked at it on paper, it'd be dysfunctional. So you've got right. these kids now who did grow up in dysfunctional households, parent not around. And I'm not saying not around because, like you mentioned, they're lawyers because someone else is looking after them. They're not around because through drink, drugs, whatever. So they grew up, as I like to say, they grew up feral. Yeah, a bit wild, and I know them. But when they've grown up now, they've had no positive impact. Now, the positive impact never came from any family member because all my family were criminals. It came from guys like you in the battalion. Another, I grew up at 16, 17. So all my sort of youth was surrounded by men. They sort of taught me how to grow up and be a man. And I was heavily influenced. But if you haven't got that around you, you're going to grow up pretty wild. Then what happens? You then get a girlfriend and so on and so on. You then have a kid. But if you, you were never brought up properly or with values, standards, how, what values and standards have you got to pass on to that, your child? And I think it just gets worse and worse. And I think because there's a lot of it now because of poverty, then you get these guys that are growing up feral, but then you add in the social media aspect. Now we can connect to each other and we can see you know, we can see it tip of our fingers, you know, gang stuff on the on the phones. So now everyone wants to wear the hood with the mask zipped, you know, the hood zipped up because that's what you want to look like because you go on YouTube, there's a gang in Liverpool. That's what they wear. So then some of the gang wants to look like that. And then they're texting each other via the internet. And next minute, you've just got these gangs of kids growing up really, really rough. And that's where... There's no standards, no values, and that's where someone will pick up a knife and stab someone. Uh, there's, and there's always been a rough life for a lot of people in Britain. It's not like there's ever been a utopia here. But a lot of those people would end up in the army. Because like you said, you know, there's a lot of people who join the army throughout history because they had no other choice. You know, you'd go to the army and then hopefully while you were there you'd have you'd meet your role models like the army itself gives you a set of values but really it's you you pick up on what's around you um and yeah you come out of it hopefully a, a better person that's then you know better adjusted yourself and better able to contribute to society at large but like i said man, like that's not a thing anymore and i i never want to be one of these people that's like ah, bring back national service but at the same time that did take people into somewhere where they were given. Now, would every, would that stick with everybody? No. But if you take 100 people in who are going to be quote-unquote feral kids, a percentage of them it is going to stick with. And if you do that every year, you know, and then they're around other people, and then when their mate's going, oh, let's put our fucking hoods up and go and stab someone, and go say, stop being a fucking dickhead, you know, um, and then it, 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 it kind of gets passed on like that. So I'm a big believer in that there should be a national service, not necessarily national service, what it was. Um, I don't like the way that the military gets used most of the time. And I think that it, I, I have a moral problem with saying, right, we're going to give you leadership skills and we're going to do this and that, but you might have to go and die for us. So, well, hang on, we're not going to just chop down some trees or something instead or, or repair some roads. You know, I think there's a lot of ways of giving back in service to your country without having to go and fucking shoot some poor cunt who's never done yeah. anything to you. But like, um, I, I do think that like, it does, it's not a surprise to me where you look down and where the sea, you start to see where this like fabric starts to break down. And it's around that kind of it. It's it's been those few generations where it's like we, 
very few people serve in the military now. Very few people do a job of service as such. And I, I th- well, well, what do you reckon? Do you reckon that's something? I didn't do it to save. I didn't do it to to save Queen and Country. I initially, for me, it was was it something that was inside me. I wanted to do. I had a, that quest for adventure. Um, I think that it gave me that. During my time in the military, then it was again. It was not to save Queen and Country. It was to be a teammate and to be a warfighter. And that's what I wanted. That was the identity I associated myself with. I don't think every kid now, not every, and we shouldn't say every kid. There's a, some kids will. I don't think the kids of the of this generation would be happy with being put under oh, they fuck? Uh, a, a mandate to where you are now. Because I, do you know how I know? Because I got two of them upstairs who would t- mm. who would say, "I ain't doing that." There's no chance I'm doing that. <laughs> and you're, it's hard enough getting them to clean the room. Never mind, yeah. right? You're going to do national service. And I like the way you say that, national service. And it doesn't have to be military. It could be where you work for the local council. You know, you provide a support network for the elderly. You go and do visits. Just somewhere where you're supporting the local area where you live. And it's part of what you do between this age and this age for one year. That will give people a set of standards uh, values because you get to see the place where you grow up. You get to respect the place you grow up. Um, would it work? I don't think it would. Um, just because people have so much more options now than they did before. Yeah, I agree, mate. Like, I, I think, um, I, I think the idea is good, but I think once we stop doing it, the the chance of bringing it back then is gone. And I feel, and I feel the same way about most things. I think that society progresses very quickly so once you remove something it's very hard to go back on it so for instance this weekend i've been kicking off about the right to protest getting taken away and it's not because i think we need it right now but society moves on so once you lose something then it can it can that like you can very quickly get to a point where it's it's impossible to bring it back then um, you know, national service has been over for fucking over forty years now. It ain't coming back in this country. No, no fucking chance whatsoever. Um, even in America, which is an extremely patriotic country, they wouldn't be able to bring the draft back in. It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't happen. So I, I, I don't think once it's gone, it can come back. I love the idea, um, and I wish that there was. You know, I, I, I would like. I think maybe what could work is basically if we start putting more money aside for people to volunteer into doing it. So if you want if you want to do it for a year, and you know what, mate, as well, is like, right, here's your, here's your fucking choices. You go to this fucking juvenile detention centre, whatever they call them in the UK, for, for two years, or you go to this national service thing for one year. I love that. I love it. That would ease up the pressure on the justice system. Uh, these, these housing... My, my friend works in one of these housing units for troubled kids. That would ease the pressure on them because they're not getting these kids pulled in, right? You've got a year now working in a housing unit, you know, being monitored. Sounds. Go to a place where, it, it, with that military environment, at a young age, stay there, being monitored by adult trained soldiers. Guys like you, you know, guys, you could even use ex-servicemen for it, you know, if but right now, I don't think the army's too tied up anyway, but you know, is it Harrogate where they where they have the youth training place? What's that called? The training? What's that called? They go at a young age, don't they? 
They're like way too young. So you had a similar system to that for people you know, on a smaller scale, for people who, these kids who are getting in trouble, right? Here's your options. You do a year with these and then you have the chance then you can join the military after. I bet you get a lot of people joining the military straight after that year. I bet you do. Absolutely, mate. And look, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like, I, I, I do believe that most people that end up fucking up in life quote unquote fucking up in life it's not their choice like being a lot of the time it's that they've been given a bad hand and they've chosen badly on the back of it i do think that a lot not everyone not everyone will some people will always be bad eggs that's the truth but i do believe like um I, my, joe said something the other day i've seen it a bit around at the moment it's a, it's a saying i really like at the moment is i believe in equal opportunities not equal outcomes and I don't think everyone in this country does get an equal opportunity at the moment. And I don't think it's fair to write off a kid because their parents were fucking shitbags. Like, it's just not it's not fair to that kid. Now, once they're in their 20s, if they're still being a shitbag, all right, I'm quite happy to write them off at that point. They've had they've had a chance. But 16, 17, it's still a kid and they deserve they deserve a shot. And if they don't want to use the shot, that's fine. But they, 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 they deserve the chance to, to try and make something of themselves. So you look at these kids, well, we're chatting about these kids here. Most of these kids come from uh, poor backgrounds, so inner city kids. And I know you get poor everywhere, but due to the, the population density, it's poor inner city kids. The recruitment for the army now is not recruitment from that region. Look at the latest recruitment uh, advertising you know, videos they're putting out. When I was recruited, or when I joined, there was recruitment, you know, officers coming to your school, you know, do it in there. Now, I don't even know if Liverpool has a recruiting centre anymore. Or the, all the advertising they're looking for, you're looking for the kid who likes to play games, the, the, the guy from a different religious faith. And they're, they're trying to get, you know, these modern kids with these, you know, all these modern feelings that people have got these days, these new feelings. If you want to, you want to kill two birds with one stone recruit from these poorer areas go there show them the opportunities they can have by joining the military you get and these kids who are from a, a poorer background who haven't had the chance like you said they haven't got the opportunity but you're giving them an opportunity because now they know you're there yeah I, I feel like we've gone oh i say we i'm not part of it but i say i feel like the army has gone from like look what does the army exist for to fight wars what do you need to do in wars kill the fucking enemy right let's recruit on that fucking criteria it's but instead it's gone to right well we need to have a certain percentage of the army you need to be this ethnicity we need to have a certain percentage of the army you were buying transsexual or whatever we need to have a certain percentage right how does that help the mission of killing the enemy if you can tell me that right well the army is going to be more efficient at killing the enemy if we have people from all these different quotas great but you can't fucking tell me that. That ain't the fucking truth. Like, the fact is, the army should only get fucked with if it helps the mission of the army, which is to fucking kill the enemy. Anything else, you're not only, like, you're not only detracting from the mission, but when the, when we're talking about the mission of the army, which is obviously the business of fucking fighting and dying, you're probably going to condemn more people to death in the fucking long run. So, you know, as much as I, like I said, I am all for equal opportunities. I don't want anyone turned away from the army because of their faith. I don't want anyone turned away from the army because of their colour or anything like that. But the army's first and foremost criteria when recruiting should be, we need to recruit, re recruit a bunch of people that are willing to go and stab and shoot people in the fucking face. End of. 
Right, I've got nothing else to say to that. Perfect. That was perfect, mate. That's it. That is it. The thing is, mate, right, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The Army Be The Best campaign was brilliant. Like, it was all videos. I can remember one of them was like, the army's won most of its battles at fighting at night. You can come and shoot a bunch of people with us. And it was like, and I was like, fuck, that looks cool. And then it's like, army, I'll be the best. And you're like, yeah, I want to be the best. I want to be the best. Now it's like, and you're a snowflake. I'm like, because the thing is, I keep saying, mate, there's so much more opportunity for people now than there was 30, 20 years ago, right? I believe that. So 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted to go and kayak and you wanted to go parachute and you wanted to go and travel, you had to join the army. If you were from, if you were from working class background, 25 years ago, there was no easy jet, no nothing like that. You weren't traveling without, you might get a trip to, maybe, maybe you go up, be able to get a trip somewhere. But you weren't being able to go to Thailand and places. You weren't being able to go fucking free fall parachuting. And now, mate, people can. So, like, it's like, so you that's not going to cut it with the army because people can do that stuff as a civvy. Right, I want to go and fight. Well, you know what? You can be a cage fighter. You can make a fucking good career doing it. All right, well, maybe I'll do that then. So it's got to boil down to what does the army offer that no one else can offer? And it's fighting a war. The only way you can go and fight a war is in the army. So that's what it needs to be about. Not, oh, well, you can get a trade. Get a trade on Civvy Street. Well, you can do this. I could do that on Civvy Street. It has to be... Fight in a war. Do you want to fight in a war? Yes. Join the army. Shit bust. End of fucking conversation. Well, not this one, but <laughs> end of recruiting conversation. <laughs> true, mate. Yeah, true. It's true. Listen, you can add on. You can have your different sort of advertisements. This is what. This is for the war fighters. This is for the guys who are mechanically uh, minded. This is for the techies. But just keep it at that subject matter. Don't bring the personal side into it because it does, that doesn't matter. When it comes to me fighting a war, going into the room with the next guy, I could care less if he feels like he identifies as a woman as long as he's good to go ready to kill someone. I don't care about that. If he chose to war fight, fine, I choose that branch. I like tinkering with cars. Well, all right, you can get a career uh, and, a, and a trade fixing vehicles that are going to take someone <laughs> to go and kill people. Cool, I'll do that. But why bring all uh, the religious side of it in, the ethnicity side of it, and then your, your personal feelings into it? It shouldn't matter. The, the army itself is the church as far as you're in the military. You should belong to the cult of the fucking warrior, basically. Like, everything else should come second. Like, you're... The fact that you want to fight in a war should trump everything else about your personality and character. Like, right, what do you want to do? Well, I believe in this. I don't care. Do you want to go and fight a war? Yes or no? If you don't, I don't want to be around you. If you do, I don't give a fuck. You'd be fucking polka dots. Like, sound. Let's go, Mr. Blobby. We'll go and fucking kill people together. Like, but it's mad, mate. Like, and I think it's part of this thing, like, this sanitized version of life that we have now. It's like, you know, War is war still. Like, war is still fucking war. It doesn't matter that people are seeing it through their screens here and stuff. And most people, unfortunately, they don't know anybody that's been involved in a war. You know, it's war is still at the point of a bayonet for a lot of fucking people. Go to Syria right now and tell me that war's changed. Fucking unchanged. Like, it, it hasn't changed. Just because you can show some fucking drone footage on CNN doesn't mean that, like, war, war hasn't fucking changed. So the idea that we can have... And, and, and like, it's, it's, 
Oh, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm getting, feel myself getting wound up here. <laughs> it's like if you look through history, every time, every generation, they go, oh, well, this is no, this door oh, walls changed now. So it's oh, well, we got tanks now, walls changed. No, it hasn't. Now we got fucking airplanes now, walls changed. No, it hasn't. Oh, we got aircraft carriers now, walls changed. No, it hasn't. Oh, we got cyber technology now, walls changed. No, it hasn't. It's always gonna come down to a bloke with a pointy stick killing another bloke with a pointy stick. That's always what it's gonna come down to. Shit fucking bust. Like, and, and, and like now, then on about, right, we're gonna get rid of the challenges so that we can have some more cyber, so we can have more cyber stuff. Well, that's great, but what happens when his main battle tank rocks up your cyber center and drives through your fucking wall and you'll become part of the tank trade? Exactly. Mate, I would never get rid of stuff like that. You're like, you're kidding me. This is, this is just common sense gone mad. Common sense gone mad. We don't know what's going to happen. I think the feel, the feeling I'm getting is the planning so far ahead now and with the taste in the mouth of the public of war is bad because of what they've seen over the last 20 years we've had scrapping these wars. And they're like, we don't want to get involved in that no more. We never, ever want to put a footprint like that on, on another country again. Why? Because public sentiments just not like it. They don't. They don't like it. And for the reasons why we went, me personally, I couldn't care. I didn't care whether he lied about why we went or not. I wanted to go war fight. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> it was like the best thing that ever happened. I was like, oh, yes, this is amazing. And people go, oh, you fucking, are you a psychopath? No. It's my chosen profession. I chose to be a warrior. I chose to be a war fighter. Imagine being a football player and playing the training game every bleeding week and then never getting on the pitch. Imagine that. That's how I felt about it. And people don't see that. People don't see our mindset on it. But I don't think the public would ever have this, the taste to do it again. I don't think the governments would. And I think that's why they're going, well, we've got this, you know, Russia and China cyber technology. This is where our next war is going to be. Because they've already decided we can't put boots on the ground like that ever again. Do you think that you and me were part of the last gasp of the British Empire um, militarily? Possibly, yeah. Possibly. I don't think we'll do what, what we've just done ever again. I, I, don't, I don't think we will even, mate. I'm not, well, not going to say ever again, but I, I, I agree with you. I feel extremely privileged. I do. I feel extremely privileged and proud uh, to, class, to put myself in a warfighter class. That's the class I am. That's how I look at it. I've always looked at it like that. There's a set of classes in society, I am part of the warfighter class. Now, beforehand, you know, you know, you're a historian. You're a historian. You write about history. You write about warfighters. They were high, held in the highest esteem. They were the top of the pillar. Warfighter, he was first because he was the one who provided, conquered, and got us everything we have. Now, it's, we're not even looked at. We're not even looked at. You're kidding me! It's mad. It's mad, mate. It's it's it's. it's I, I keep saying this to people. I'm like, you cannot like that fact. You cannot like the fact that your like your ability to go to work today is is provided for by the fact that like I wrote about this in Brothers in Arms. I'm like, the life that we have in the UK is provided for because either directly or indirectly by channeling war to other people, you know, basically exporting war to other groups. We benefit in the UK from, one, having had an empire, which was one at the point of a bayonet, and 
then holding onto an empire, which was kept at the point of a bayonet. And then these last, the, the last few years, these fucking, if you're driving around a, a Range Rover, if you're enjoying central eating, anything like that, you get that in the UK because someone else in the world doesn't have it. And you know why they don't have it? Because of the wars that we either like directly um, fight in or for instance, Yemen, we provide fucking weapons to Saudi Arabia there. You want the, you want the oil from Saudi Arabia? We got to let Saudi Arabia take part in the biggest humanitarian um, probably like genocide since the Second World War. We're a part of that as Britain. That's what we do. That's that's what the world is. Um, I, I think you're right, though, mate. I, I do think that... I, 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 I think Britain's... We, we, we had an empire, right? And most of us listening to this weren't around for the empire. So we think that what we've been born in will be the normal post-empire. But it that that's not how it works because it's like... It's like um, we've we still had the prestige so like the fact that britain has a seat at the un on the five seats of the un security council that's not going to last forever because we don't have any more the capability um to project our power around the world anymore we're totally reliant on america we are america's basically little lapdog when it comes to wars that's not like i'm not that's not to besmirch the I, yes i said besmirch the the value of the british soldier or the valor of the british soldier but that's the truth we can't go to a war without america taking our shit basically um we we need them so you know that that's not going to last we're not going to be on the un security council forever that's probably not going to last very long we've pulled out of europe whether you believe that was the right decision or not it means that we're not going to have as much of a say in europe you know we are becoming more isolationist and i think we haven't got an empire anymore also empire has been turned into a very dirty word now too it's like we're all fucking um we're all horrible people even though we never existed when the empire was going i think britain is going to be a de- i think we're going to have a defense force like places like sweden do you know we're going to have um we- we'll have people in the army and they'll res- they might go and aid in some disaster relief or they might help build fucking fill sandbags when there's a flood um and then maybe every now and again you'll go and do a tour to stop people chopping each other's heads off in africa or somewhere or you know wherever but uh the days of us going out with a division or a few divisions and fucking smashing enemies up i think them days are gone i really do i do mate it's definitely the days of the defence forces coming. And again, I think it's coming down to what our government and the higher command are forecasting the threat to the UK. And it's not from insurgents in some desert country. It isn't from that. So why put the money in? Mm. Where can we cut? Let's take the tanks away. We don't need them. We're a defence force. We can, we can push units out at an expeditionary level. Yeah, to Africa. We're, we're all over Africa right now. All over it. Small teams all over the place. Uh, I really love the role, how they re-rolled like, uh, the specialised infantry unit. I love that. It's a great idea. But that can't just, you can't just have that on its own. Yeah. You know, we still need to have this war fighting capability. Yeah, no one's coming onto our shores to fight us. We know that. But we still, I still believe we need to support if, uh, I say this because I feel a brotherhood to America. I fought alongside them. So I have this brotherhood to them and Australia and all the other countries that fought alongside us. But specifically America, because I actually fought alongside them, side by side, the teammates, Americans, you know, and then as a contractor working with Americans and supporting them in their efforts. So if they go, I, w- I want us to go too. I'm like, well, we should. We should go. If, th- if they're going, we should. Because they supported us out there. 
They provided logistical support, money, training, weapons, you know, all, 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 all the things we needed to be fighting in wars, air support. I don't want to fall back to this with a defence force now when America, whether right or wrong, goes, we're going to war, then we don't go with them. Because we've been doing it. It's been a partnership for many years now. But basically, we're almost like a mercenary brigade to the Americans. Because you think about it, right? Since the, the actual invasion of Iraq, 20 years going on now, we've only operated at brigade strength anywhere. We've only operated brigade strength. That's like... To, to give people context, when you look at, go back and look at some of like the battles and stuff in the Second World War, which, you know, you have a few brigades make up divisions. It was divisions and divisions and divisions. And now, like, even in Helmand, which was a massive main effort, even like in, in Iraq, a brigade under strength most of the time. And, and basically, like, so if you look at, like, I love, you know, my ancient history. If you look at the way the Greek armies and stuff were made up, that would often be how it would be like. You'd have your, you'd have your main force that was leading it, let's say the Spartans or the Athenians, and then you'd have you know, a few blokes to turn up from this city-state or a few blokes from this. That's kind of how I see us going now. I'm not saying that there won't be any more, any more trigger-pulling for British soldiers. That's not what, I want, what I'm saying. But what I'm like, you know, you might go, America might have an operation going on somewhere in the world, and we might provide a battalion. You know, we might provide a battalion, or the, you know, we we'll probably the bootnecks and the paras will probably get in on something and stuff. And but what I'm saying is, your days of having your challengers and your armored infantry on fucking line with a battalion here and a battalion there and a battalion in reserve, them days are gone. I, 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 I those days are gone. I think the, the days of rolling across deserts, smashing up tanks, or doing it through Europe or whatever. Those days, I think, are are, are gone. Like I think, I, I think for us, mate, in in um, you were to tell it 10 as well, weren't you? Yes. I think we saw the last days of that amount of armour rolling around for Britain. I really do think that you and me, you and I saw the last days of that. So let, let's talk about Telic, actually. Like which which Telics did which Telics did you go on to? Uh, only 10. Right, okay. Um, I was glad I only went on 10. Because I don't want to... I feel like a twat if I say something. No, sort of, say it, mate. Sort of say like, it or I'll say it. So, <laughs> you know... We missed out so much. We always got fucking palmed off with shit rolls. Not through we were a bad, we were an awesome battalion. We just spent two years in Ireland, um, you know, successful, boring tour as you do. And then we went on to then you now the training battalion now to train people to go to Iraq and Afghanistan, and we did that. And you're like, where are we getting a chance? None of us have been. Mm. Uh, we had a few guys get fired away, so we had a few lucky lads who got to go with other battalions. But as a battalion, we never got away. And then they were like, right, you're going on Telic 10. And we knew we were two our second battalion, Royal Green Jackets. First battalion was there at the time. And they would have a murder. They were in there kicking doors down. But prior to that, looking at it, apart from the initial big push and a few isolated incidents, it's quite quiet. There was people, you know, guys going out patrolling around in berries and, so and normal soft body armour, soft skins. There was incidents where, you know, unfortunately people were getting involved in IEDs. But by the time I got onto there, it was just murder. It was full-on war fighting again. So I was so thankful I arrived at that time. It was just, I do, I go, oh, wait, how lucky was I? Because the, the opportunity I got was the best opportunity to war fight. So I was just so happy I had to wait forever. It took me forever. I really don't think people understand, mate, how kinetic Telic 9 and 10 was. 
I don't I don't think I don't think people get that because and and again this is again where my kind of hatred of the British media comes in. Um all you were hearing about in the news in two thousand six was three para and Afghan, which obviously had a very punchy tour. But the fucking Kingos um on Telic Nine, I think they lost I think they lost like nine blokes in one company or something like that. It was it was meant it was fucking mental. Like the fighting the amount of fighting that was going on there. And it was actually statistically more dangerous to be in Iraq at that time. But because they were trying to, because the government were trying to palm Iraq off as being peacekeeping, they were like, because Iraq, everyone had got to that point, like you were saying earlier, of, oh, Iraq was a terrible thing, we shouldn't have been there. So they're not trying to take attention on Iraq. They'd already drawn down, they decided to close that. Afghanistan, on the other hand, everyone was like, oh, well, that's where bin Laden lives, isn't it? Oh, the Taliban, they're evil. We need to get rid of the Taliban. So it's like, right, well, look at all, like, they're like, right, look over here where all the shooting's going on. Oh, our brave paras are over here. And they are brave paras, I'm not knocking that. But it was quite obvious that they were making a push on that. And they're like, well, what's going on in Iraq? Where, where are all these dead blokes coming back from? Ah, oh, don't worry, peacekeeping operation. Pe- peacekeeping, like, there's, 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 blo- there's blokes dying every week there. It's peacekeeping. Yeah, peacekeeping. Now, look at these people shooting over here. Paras, paras, look at the paras. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, But it's like, like I think, was it, like, fucking Chindit Platoon, uh, Chindit Company, I think they lost loads of blokes. They lost loads of blokes in their recce platoon. They were at the old state building. S- they were smashed absolutely smashed from beginning of the tour to end. Now, don't get me wrong, they did a lot of smashing in return, mate. Well, just look at what, what rules of engagement we were working under at the time. Was it called... No one else in Afghanistan went on that. We were sh- Guys were shooting people, picking up a phone. Like, this is real. <laughs> you mad. Oh, and, and believe me, we would sit and watch the media in Afghan. We were sitting in, you know, in Iraq and we're scrapping every night, scrapping every day and... All that's on the media was Afghan. And we're like, yeah. hey, do you know what Know what we're doing out here? This is crazy. And it's a city environment, which is a whole different dynamic. Just to give people an idea, right? Because you, So you were at Basra Palace on Telic 10. I was at the Cobb. And obviously, we used to yeah. come back and forth to you a lot a bit. So for us to do a resupply to you, we had to have, leading the way, challengers, then company after company of warrior armored fighting vehicles. So challenges for people who don't know are the biggest tanks. Then warriors are like, they look like a mini tank, but they've got a turret on them. And then in the back, you've got a bunch of fucking hot, sweaty, angry blokes. Um, and then we had fucking Apaches overhead. And this is where it gets so funny. The Apaches had to be American ones because they were on different rules of engagement. So you could be getting engaged and you can't return fire, but the Apaches above you can because they're on American rules of engagement. We're on card alpha. Um, so just to give people, so I just want to, because I really want to drive home a fact of how ridiculous this was. So for me to be able to drive to you on the other side of the city, I have to have pretty much the same amount of of, of armor that was used to uh, break into the country. So we've got we've got main battle tanks, we've got warrior armor fighting vehicles, we've got artillery with fucking pre-des targets, we've got Apaches above us, and we are on the same rules of engagement as a guy who's on a camp in the UK. <laughs> it's mental, isn't it? It's mental. It's mad. It's, mental. it's madness, mate. We had, like, so okay, I, I really, because I want to drill those people how mad this was. We had, like, there was a, it was back in the days when they had DAS-90s, which I believe were 155 millimeter guns. We had those on call. We got Apaches on call, but we're on the same rules of engagement as the TA centre in Wrexham. But we changed, didn't we? We changed the, the rules of engagement to 
Oh, I forgot what that's called. It's called they now. did have some. They did have some exceptions, but it still wasn't the same as the Afghan ones. They they made some. No, we. I know for a. F- I, I can't even. I can't even call it a fact because I can't even bring the cards up now. Hopefully, yeah. one of the list. <laughs> is it four four two nine alpha? alpha. Is it? That's the one. Yep. Yeah, four two nine alpha. That gives me clearance to shoot someone if I believe that he's b- digging a bomb. And we had that. We had that. We had a guy, and we had to be reined in and sent home. And that it, because. He was acting within that card. However, his judgment was still off and he made a couple of tactical errors on, on a few humans. Um, <laughs> yeah, he flat had two people he shouldn't have. Um, but under the card, he got away with it because the cards gave him that right, right. because he believed at that time, I believe him under this threat. Uh, and he, and when, when we went up to him, he wasn't. If, from what I remember, what we got told, it might be different with you at the palace, but we got told was that we're still on card alpha but you could like if there was someone laying in because what 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 it was in the past was like for instance if you went on like a, if you were went on like a look and you saw someone digging in you wouldn't be able to engage him because it wasn't an imminent threat to life but where it would change was look if they're digging in something now you can engage them yeah, we so we used to like drop out we used to drop out snipers and drop out javelin teams and stuff yeah. like that so i think that there was that, that kind of exception but the fact was mate like cuz I was on, I would say this, I felt like I was on the sidelines a lot for Telic 9. But that was kind of good in a way because I literally could, I was on like the, like say a few tactical bounds back from some of these fights. And I was watching a battle, mate. It was tracer fucking everywhere. RPGs flying through the skies, mortars coming in, warriors firing chain gun and fucking cannon. And I'm like, this ain't peacekeeping. Not at all. We had, we were utilizing the Apache for fire support in the city and the Challenger. Challenger came in for one of our teams, totally suppressed. Um, they suppressed them with small arms first and um, I think Warrior suppressed, quietened it down. The guys got up, suppressed again. In the end, he's called a Chalian. Chally, main armament in the city, main arm. There you go, the cannon getting fired off and you're like, this is unbelievable. This is, this is unbelievable in a city environment. You know, firing a main arm tank, tank rounds. Wow. If you're using main armament on a tank, it ain't peacekeeper. It's not. I never seen any peacekeeper. I never had anyone question me either. I never had no one question me. I never wrote a statement for what I fired or who I fired or who I killed. There was none of this. People, I think people have the the idea that right when you get into these engagements, that there's uh, because it's not the initial war fight and the initial push. That okay, we have to account for who's fired. I never once was questioned or asked who did you shoot tonight. Well, that did happen, but I think they stopped it on ten because it was happening. It was happening on nine. It was happening on nine, mate. It was. It was just too. It was happening on a. The fighting was going on on such a constant basis. It was uh, that that cycle of get in, rebomb, rest, food, back out, go, and you couldn't account for the, the amount of contacts that was going on. It was just. It was just that many. Talk us through life at Basra Palace and and the rockets and mortars and and that kind of side of life. It's quite. I think it's quite stressful because you've got that indiscriminate rocket coming in. It's good to have a healthy amount of fear for that as well. It makes you get your head down. Um, I know a friend of mine, he had no fear of it and he, he, he was blasé with his actions because these rockets were coming in day after day, you know, 50, 60 rockets at times. My, my stats might be off. Some of your listeners read the stats on how many rockets. There, there was definitely, I, I, re- I definitely remember a day where there was more than 80 IDF rounds in a day. Definitely remember that. It was unbelievable. Like my my building, I lived in a corner room. 
that must have been hit at least 30 times. At least while I was there. It was just so indiscriminate. But people started to get that blase attitude about it because, well, I didn't get hit. So I'll just, if it goes off again, I'll just keep going. And I had to grab someone, a friend of mine, and say, listen, your attitude will affect others because if you get hit now, you're a casualty. I've got to deal with that. I don't need that. So you get your head down. It's, you know, you're spending a lot of your day on the floor. <laughs> You know, on the floor because rounds are coming in. It's scary. And looking at the the devastating effects of what one of them rockets does to a wall, a concrete wall. And you're like, wow. To the point where we had, you know, Major Harding, his name was, Major, uh, Ellie Major. And he was hit pretty much direct. I don't think there was not a left of him. That was him. He was done pretty much direct hit on that guy. It was safer being outside within the, with the, with the tracer coming at you, I found. Safer being on the street with the sniper and the gunfire coming at you. Because at least, well, I can get into this cover. I can at least that's not coming over my head and indiscriminately just landing next and to me. And you can also be proactive, though, can't you? That's the thing. You can't you can't be proactive against the mortar as, as an infantryman, really, most of the time. Well, that that was something we came about. I know, like, the lads, the morale between the lads, we, we pushed the command and said, look, right now we feel like we're under siege. This is un This is siege tactics, what they're using on us. You know, we need to spend more time out there just getting amongst it. Um, their attitude to that was great anyway. You know, they wanted to be proactive. We were pushed prior to going. This is door kicking time, fellas. You know, this ain't fucking peace. We're going there to destroy people. And that was the mindset of the lads. Uh, but at times it felt like we were under siege. Really did. Yeah, I mean... I think to give people a picture, by this point, like Telic 10, we... There was the PJOC, wasn't there? There was the PJOC was left, which was a really small place. That was pretty much in the bang in the middle of the city, wasn't it, if I remember correctly. And then there was, we'd already, the Shatal Arab had already been closed down. OSB had been closed down. So all that was left really was Basra Palace on the bottom corner of, and it and it just meant that all these people that had, there, you know, there was, there was a time when Basra, you had British bases all over it, and each place could satellite out and control an area. Well, we basically, by that point, pulled out of the city so they had the run of the city and one British base to just fucking focus all their attention on. And it, I, it was a siege. It was 100% a fucking siege. That's how it felt. It really did. And, and to get out and, and, and smash people up of a nighttime was just that relent, you know, that feeling you have. And I, I won't lie. There was many a night I, I geared up with the lads, the music on. And all we were like was just going to go and kill people tonight. That's what we're going to do because we ain't having it. Because you're losing your friends, you know, your good friends are dying and excellent soldiers. And you're like, nah, we're going to go out. We're going to fuck people up tonight. That's what's going to happen. And that was the mindset we were instilling in these young guys. I feel they're indoctrinating them. Let's get out there and just kill people tonight. Okay. Not, and not right, not wrongly. Yeah. I'm not saying we're going to, uh, you know, we're having a, a Athena situation where, where, where we're going to just go and murder people or not. But when we get into the fight, that's the mentality is we're going to go and kill everyone. And, and that's what you need to have when you're constantly under indirect fire, but also fucking EFPs. Like, it's scary driving around knowing that there's EFPs waiting out there for you, which is, for people that don't know, there's a very deadly form of IED that could even, like, even take out a Challenger. You know, that, that's how bad those were. You know if one of those hits the back of your vehicle, there's a good chance that it's going straight through. It's going to just tear you in half. That's it, bottom line. Yeah. Um, so when you can actually, 
this is why I think a lot of people from our generation may actually really enjoy small arms maybe more than people from other generations have because it was it was like you're under threat from IED you're under threat from mortars at least with small arms you can fucking get back in the fight you can actually because I don't think there's anyone that can take the British soldier on when it comes to a small arms engagement I don't I think we fucking beat anyone I firmly believe that too you were excellent at it um, but it's that it's the way that I would I would phrase this offensive spirit mm. and that's a principle of defence and we were in a defensive posture inside that base. It was under siege, and what we needed was offensive spirit. And we had that. But you can't get it without going out and looking for it and looking for the fight. You know, going out and just randomly patrolling because we're just doing that. You know, you've got to get out and look for it and go, right, where are they going to be? Let's get in them areas instead of, right, we're just going to drive the vehicles out on this patrol around this town. That's not offensive spirit. Expensive spirit is that mindset of this we're going to push into these areas and take them on because they will engage us and once they are engaged once we are engaged then we will go and fight i got told by someone in the incel once that they were planning a major op to go into the shia flats which was basically there that was their like the their main kind of hotbed you know and they had proper like they had dug in dushkas and everything in there and my mate told me that they were planning this op for four rifles and two raw welsh to go in there smash the plate like proper fucking smash the place up and that they were expecting you know because we will it was at least a bloke a, a week dying wasn't it yeah at least yeah, yeah at least yeah. and 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 but they were expecting like look there's going to be obviously because you know they make the projections there's going to be a lot of blokes that die if we do this op and mate i was fucking raring to go so, so was i yeah, that's that was us i'm like that's that's what we're going to do i remember it specifically they were like yeah. this is where and we tested it we we did a few probes just pushing the vehicles to the edge mm-hmm. you know each part go out a few nights push get everyone out all the armored vehicles out put some snipers out as well and just probe just see hang out there see what see what sort of reaction we're going to get in a, in a in a preemptive measure to right we're going to go in here it was a shame we never did because I was up for it. I was ah, yeah, damn right. And that's the thing, mate. We were up for it, like, like, and I know your lot were too. So it was like, just fucking let us off the leash. Let us fucking go. Yeah. Like, what are we here for? What, we, like, like, what are we here for? Otherwise, if we, if we're not going to do this, if we're going to be on the back foot, why are we here? I think it's it is extremely hard to fight in that environment. That urban environment is so difficult. Um, just. The basic level of of your soldiers got to be at an extremely high level, you know. Just like target indications, drop it right down to basic level infantry soldier. You know, target indication. You know, identifying a target. How hard it is when you're surrounded by multi-story buildings and you're getting engaged from multiple angles. Uh, one of the hardest things I found in contact was finding out where I was getting shot from. I don't. I don't think I ever saw the enemy in the right way. I've no idea. <laughs> like- just locating them was tough, tough. We had just, uh, you know, one incident. Um, we were, uh, our driver, the driver was having to shoot his pistol. We were getting them from 25 meters because we were surrounded. Um, 25 meters all the way out to fucking three, four hundred, hitting us. Which is one vehicle, two vehicles, sorry, two vehicles started uh, isolating a location because of a vehicle was it. And they were coming at us up to 25 metres away through the alleys. And the driver was engaging with his pistol. That's <laughs> my mate. Yeah. And that, that stuff happened a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we took quite a few casualties. And really, I think the thing with casualties is that they're, they're so indiscriminate. 
it can be the best. You know, it was always the best guy. It was always the best guy got hit. It was never the the the, the worst rifleman in your platoon. Always the best guy. And uh, it's not because he was doing anything wrong. It's just because it it's indiscriminate. It's time you you get an ambushed. So they it's at their choosing. And having to fight in that urban environment with the effects of EFP IED starting an ambush and then uh, gun positions, just doing what we would do, an elevator position. Yeah. Multiple. 360, they have the opportunity to hit you 360. So trying to deal with that um, is extremely hard. And with it, deal with it and win because you've got to win. You can't not win that yeah. fight. You have to win it. If you don't win it, you might get out, but your morale's low because you know you didn't win that. You know when you win or not. You know, and, and, a, and a problem with that is is it doesn't come down to you to choose who wins. It'll be the higher command will choose because sometimes well higher than battalion level, you will get told pull out now because of the threat of casualty because they don't want to see people getting killed. And that Change. That, that comes down all the way down to your PRR, your team commander headset, and it goes, we're moving out. And you're like, what? I'm in the fight. Let me win. And the, the, that choice of winning gets taken away from you a lot by, by someone who sat on a desk and not seeing the bigger picture. And the thing is, we're not talking about, hey, look, no one's died all tour. We don't want to lose one bloke. It's like... Well, we're losing blokes to IEDs. Obviously, loss is loss, right? But let's be fucking honest about this. It's a lot easier to deal with a loss of someone if you know, like... Like, look, mate, here's a fucking thing. They give Victoria Crosses to blokes who pick up a gun and tr charge towards an enemy position. How many Victoria Crosses have gone to blokes that were looking, forward, looking for an IED and got blown apart? But how is one any more dangerous than the other? Yeah. It didn't... I'd, I'd argue that the IED one is more dangerous. Yeah, without a doubt. Because you have no choice. Like, you're not... It doesn't matter at that point how good your skills are. We lost, like, well, you know, we lost... You know, mate, because they were with with your fucking company. We lost a whole team of blokes from, from B Company to Raw Welsh because they were they got hit by an IED as they were looking for them. I was there, mate. I was there. I was down that road, same road. It was, uh, it was heartbreaking. And let, let's stick on this bit. I never got how it took a man on the ground with his eyeball to find an ID. Mm. Let the, my, my, my idea, not my idea, my, my feelings on it was right. My vehicle's got explosive reactive armor on it. Let that take the blast. If it's going to get hit, it's going to get hit. I know that the effects of an EFP can damage a Challenger. I know that. But to send four guys like they did forward, to visually check and then get hit with a PIR, a laser, and then the loss of that them lads because they can't see that. They're camouflaged perfectly. These are professionals at what they do, and I don't knock the tactics. I I use them tactics too because you know I didn't. I never liked people. Oh, them, them dirty bastards with IEDs. And, oh no, mate, no, not at all. I've got a fucking. I've got a Apache helicopter. I've got fast air. I've got a tank. I've got modern weaponry and modern radios. They've got what they've got. We've got what we've got, and we're going to have a fight. So whoever dies, that and that is it. But we can limit that by choosing our tactics and being having better tactics. And we didn't. They chose us. I think it was called Op Bomber, 
And I did it with the handover from one rifles, sorry, two rifles to us, four rifles. And they went, this is how... Oh, Abdul, 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 sorry, Abdul, Abdul, yeah, Abdul. He's like... I fucking I had to go in the recesses of the mine there, mate. <laughs> this is how we're going to do it. You're going to send... You're going to keep the armour behind. You're going to put four guys out on the ground, two left, two right. They, left's going to scan right, right's going to scan left. You're going to look for identifying marks for an IED. Yeah. And I was like, what? Behind that Challenger tank that's got the best armour that's ever been invented in human history. <laughs> Our vehicles have just got a load of Israeli armour put onto it for the foot so yeah. it can take the blast. And now you're going to put guys out in front. And then, unfortunately, we lost those lads. And, I, you know, I, I didn't... I just seen the ID go off and I knew. I just knew. I was like, unknown way. Yeah. It's it's such a sad thing that we can lose life like that. Uh, I didn't I didn't know him personally, but like my good mates, the, you know, one of the lads, he was a good, he was like one of the click, you know, and um, you know, I've always felt like that, you know, that kind of loss through through them, but like you know, wasn't someone I knew personally, but was a was a, a like you said earlier, was one of the best blokes. Um, and like. It's mad, mate, because at the time I was 23 years old, 24 years old, and I, basically my job for, for Telic 10 was get out the back of the warrior. I was usually lead warrior, get out the back of the warrior, go and look in front. And at the time you do it because you think people know the best things. And now I look back on it, I'm like, we had a squadron of Challenger tanks out there. Why is me and my team? And I must have had some inclination because there were, you know when you get that feeling that you know it's all over? And there were times when I said, I'm just leaving the team here and just went, and that's not like a ball saying, that's just what any fucking NCO should do. At the end of the day, if you're not willing to leave your team in the vehicle and go yourself, you shouldn't be an NCO. Like, that's not saying you deserve any special recognition. That's the minimum standard, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, you, you know, there are times where it's like, right, you, that, there's times when you get the hairs on the back of your neck up and go, well, might as well not take the old team with me. Um, but when you look back on it now, you're like, well, it's got to come down to money. It's the only reason I can think. And it, and here's something that fucking winds me up now, and I I, I forget who it was that pointed it out. So I put, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, if apologies to whoever it was that pointed it out because I never even thought about this. But they used to call us. I don't know about you, but they used to call us foxhounds. On the officers would call us foxhounds. Yeah. And I think back on it now, and I'm thinking like, you fucking cunts. You're like, oh, I'm sending my foxhounds forwards. We're not fucking foxhounds. We're fucking human beings, right? We're about to get blown apart by an IED. We're not your fucking foxhounds. You know, but and I, and, I, and I thought about it then, and I thought that actually just goes to show how, in a way, that it was viewed. Better to lose your fox sounds. Oh, it's just a fox. It's just the fox sounds. Oh, 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 shit! The fox sounds just got blown apart. But I think it's looking back on it now, mate. I think it's it's pretty much criminal because at least in Afghan, terrible. It was you know pressure plate IEDs. You had your valens, you know your metal detectors. You had those to look for it. I just want people to understand now, literally, what we had to look for it with was our eyeballs and maybe, if you're lucky, a Viper site, which is a thermal site, which might help you a bit. But realistically, what it came down to was kicking things over. That's it. It was, I hated it. And I stopped, I wouldn't let the guys do it in the end. I go like, no, push that vehicle forward. That's what it's there for. It'll take the air. And we lost vehicles. We lost plenty of vehicles. But, and we had, and we had casualties from vehicles getting hit. But it wasn't four guys getting vaporized. And that's what it comes down to. It was one guy, maybe two, one guy, you know, he's, you know, he's seriously injured due to the blast. And that's not acceptable either, but that's war. And that's what we've got to do. Um, how, how hard is it, mate? We've got drones that can be remote piloted from fucking Vegas to blow people up in Yemen. How have we not got remote fucking vehicles to lead a fucking convoy? Well, we were using the end. We were just using the TI on the warrior. Push a warrior forward, TI. 
you check it and just hit it. So t- t- to explain what uh, TI is. Thermal meant. imagery for people. So the the vehicles, some vehicles had thermal sites, so they can check a heat source, and we would just bring them up. They would see it and they would engage it with a with the cannon and fire a you know a cannon round at it and just blow up. And whether that was an IED or not, it blow it was blown up then, so the threat was gone. And that's how you identify it. And we just learned that way. That's how we have to do it. We did that, mate. But then what they started to do was they start to say, "Oh well, we're in a civvy built up area, so go forward and confirm it." It's my mate, and we did because because you because you listen to what you told because you're a young lad. I was a bit older than you. I was 27, right? So and I was a, I was a, I was a screw 27, and I had a good head on my shoulders. And there was times I'd be like, I ain't doing that. That's bullshit. Tell me why. And if you <laughs> didn't have a good answer, it ain't getting done because I'm here because no one else is going to do it. So push the vehicle forward. And I had a good boss as well. So it was quite receptive to to good good ideas, and the good idea would be get your vehicle forward. <laughs> what what would the what was that kind of culture like in the in that battalion at that time? Then was it like a was it a, was it a battalion where the lower ranks could have a lot of input? We always had that in my battalion. Right. Um, not to sound cheesy or anything like that. If you don't please, don't, I'm not trying to sound cheesy or we're trying to one up any other regiment or anything like. Um, people called us slack jackets, didn't they? Because we were extremely slack. You know, our uniform was never pressed as it should be. Haircuts were always longer. Uh, the the rank structure was a little bit relaxed. You know, with all the way up to major level. Um, and the the moniker of a thinking rifleman. Now you mentioned it earlier. You know, we're all thinking soldiers. We we lived with this thinking rifleman pushed on us. So. And I'd, I'd worked with other battalions before, specifically like detached to another battalion for a tour on my own. And my battalion was, it was like black and white in how the rank structure worked. And it was so, we were, we were given the opportunity to be thinking riflemen. And if I had an idea or if I thought something was the right way, it was okay. That's the right way. And the guys, the rank above the, you know, platoon commander, company commander go, okay, good. Did it work? Yeah. All right sound it's almost like you know what you're saying about being under siege that kind of like and the, the difference between offensive spirit that's i think that's the same type same as with with mentality if you're allowed to think it's a lot easier to to keep your fucking head on your shoulders and not like i think when people are know that they don't have any input and just feel like a pawn in the game then that's when things really start to go bad isn't it i'm not saying everyone was allowed to think because half of them are retards <laughs> but you know we had yeah. our fair share of fucking idiots who just weren't allowed just do as you told me but yeah. going up that structure from nco nco junior nco and so on it was pushed on you to think for yourself and your ideas matter you know tactically it matters um but you mentioned that like the offensive spirit again we had to have a offensive spirit from day one. It was drum, as in, we we literally had to. Our first mission, we lost a guy on the first mission, pretty much first mission, and that was uh, Jez Brooks. He was my opposite number in the platoon. The other full screw from the other section uh, lived facing me, and on our first major company off, he was killed. So straight away, the that how that affects you straight away. Going, holy shit, this is real. We just lost one of the best guys in the company in the battalion. He is a mo- he is like known as one of the best lads around, you know. And you're like, we just lost him. We have to switch on here. This is real. He didn't get hit. He got hit in a gunfight. And you're like, it doesn't matter who you are now. You'd be the best guy. 
you've got to be switched on and be ready to fight now. I think Telic Turn, mate, was a lot like the Afghan tours in that sense. It's like on the earlier Telics and stuff, Telic 4 5, and again, I'm not knocking those for a lot of people. Battalions went and didn't lose anybody. Telic 10, because of what happened on Telic 9, you knew there was no way your battalion was not losing blokes, didn't you? Yeah, no, no for a fact. Uh, the whole, we got described as they've stayed up a hornet's nest and you're going to go in and clear it up. Well, all right, great. Here we go. Couldn't wait for it. I couldn't wait for it. I couldn't wait. Uh, I'll, I've mentioned this story before to a few people. Um, we used to call this, we used to call our little group Team Alpha. It's Team Alpha. Team Alpha's here. It was all the best lads used to hang out, all the best screws and that. Um, we'd get together in the naffy for naffy break and stuff. And we had this discussion about what would we do when it comes to losing people. And uh, we looked at the people around us when we were training, doing the PDT, and we're going, he is going to die because he's not switched on enough. He is going to die. There's a picture I've got of seven of us just prior to deploying straight over, I think in Q8. Out of that picture, only two of us came out of there unharmed. The other five are injured or dead. And I was like, holy fuck. Them same group of people in the UK had this conversation of who was going to get killed, who was getting shot. And it turns out it was all of us, all, all, all our little crew, our little our little team. Yeah. All of us separated, you know, amongst the companies. And it was all them. Like, fucking hell. So, Telic 10, loads of fucking shooting, loads of IDF, under siege, losing blokes, fighting the enemy at close fucking quarters. Then... All of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, because it was the plan all along, the decision is made to close Basra Palace. Like I said, it, was, it wasn't a snap decision. This was always a plan. And withdraw everybody to um, to the basically the airport, on the, which is outside the city. Do you want to talk more about the decisions behind that and how you felt about it? Yeah, okay. I was absolutely heartbroken. Heartbroken. I felt like someone had, had lost, but I didn't get to fight. Even though I'd been fighting for them month, all their months, I didn't get to win. It was just, and it was out of my hands. I had no choice in the matter. They told us we're going and we're like, well, we're not finished. And that was the mentality of the lads because we'd been given a bloody nose too. And we'd lost our teammates and stuff. We were like, no, we need to see this out. We need to get in there, get on more direct ops, more, di use the word direct action. So I don't know if you, strike ops. Yeah. Where we're, where we're going out and we're going into their buildings and taking them out. We need more of these. You know, we were generating our own ops like that. We were working alongside some of the SF units to do that with them. And we're like, we need more. We need this every single night. Let's not pull out yet. We're not ready. We need to defeat and get this enemy out of this city. And he wasn't. He wasn't out the city. He wasn't at all. The fact that we found out then there was an under-the-table deal was put on the cards to the Jashar Mahdi that if you stop attacking us, we'll leave. That sickened me to levels. I can't, it's, it's horrible to think about it now. It makes me want to smash this table, mate. That's what happened. Our government, our higher command, our, the, the people who are in command of the army in Iraq at the time, did a deal with the, with the insurgents to, you stop attacking us, we'll leave. And that's what they did. And that was, for a warrior, that is hard to take it. I, it upsets me now. I'm upset now thinking about it. Um, I'm not being funny, mate. If you gave me the people now, like, that made that decision, 
I'm not going to obviously say that I would do them harm because that would be silly of me to say. But let me just say this. I hate them far more than the enemy that I fought against. That's I, the truth. I did. I did. It was hard. I, I still do, mate. I still do. I fucking hate them. I, ha- I hate them with every fucking ounce of my being. I hate them. Listen, there'd be people there who felt relief to get out of that place because, yeah, you were under siege. But there was... You, you, there's that saying, isn't there? Um, the saying about the warrior. Like, there's so many warriors fight your battles. I can't paraphrase it correctly, yeah. but there's the then there's the... You've got your warriors who will win your battles each time and you've got that one who will lead them and he'll get them all back and all that. We had plenty of them guys, plenty in that battalion who would, just, who would have stayed and not went home. Yeah. until it was done and we, it was taken out the hands the the higher commands went no you're pulling out and it, it just, we were distraught the blokes physically you know upset over it because they weren't allowed to get to get in there and finish the fight what sickened me about it was the way it was portrayed in the UK like they put flags on the vehicle told us to put flags on the vehicles and portrayed it in the UK like mission accomplished pulling out no mention about the deal um, I don't know how Jen this is but I have read it in books from intelligence analysts that say that the Iraqi government were not informed about that deal. They didn't even know we were fucking leaving. And everything, everything about it is, it's shameful. And like looking back on it now, I wish I knew what I knew about life now because I would have fucking said no. And maybe I could have convinced, maybe if enough of us had said, no, we're not doing it, we're not leaving. We're not going to fucking do it. We're not going to drive vehicles. We're fucking, because the thing is, mate, this is what, where it gets me. We could have just done that years before and not lost all the blokes in the middle. Like that's what that's the bit it gets me. It's like I always say it's like it's like a boxing match, but it's your hands aren't just tied around your like around your back. Your hands have been chopped off, and like you know, like it's 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 fucking mad. Like why why what was the point in any of it? What was the fucking point? And I I think mate, honestly, for someone like you said, like a warrior or something. I think this is something that will bother us till the day we die. I genuinely do. I don't think, and I think, to be honest, mate, I genuinely think that the reason people are, why why are people from Afghanistan and Iraq struggling so much with PTSD and stuff? It's because, to be honest, when you look at yourself in the mirror and say, what was it for? Nothing. Because you didn't fight and lose. You were fighting and they threw in the fucking towel. Well, I, I think we were fucking beating them. They weren't making that deal if we weren't beating them. We were beating them every day. Every night we went out, we beat them every night. And like you said, that's the way they threw in the towel. And they, they put on this big media show for it. Uh, like you say, they utilised the flags, British flag flying everywhere. They used the the headline, the Lions of Basra. Oh, the lion, look at us, the Lions of Basra. And I'm like, this is a joke. This is a joke, a joke. And as as part of that deal, mate, people don't know. All those people that we'd gone out on, well, mostly you guys, I say me, I was involved in very little for myself. So I'm not going to claim that. But two Royal Welsh, four rifles, and then before us, the Staffies, the Kingos, two rifles. All those ops going on. Oh, Blackwatch, don't forget them. All those ops going on. All those fucking prisoners that we took got released on that sec. So the first half of the tour, go out and get them. Lose boys doing it. What and one of a and I just I can't even get get my head around this. They you they they had us open the gates to let them walk out, and then on the other side of like there's that at the top of the airbase there's that fucking it's like a big canal in it, yeah. And there's that bridge there, 
and they, the Jaysh al-Mahdi would be waiting for their mates to get released and come over that bridge. And as soon as they did, they'd start quote-unquote celebratory fire, which was all aimed at the fucking cob, and they wouldn't let anyone rocking return fire. And we basically just had to sit there watching the people walk, watching these, let's call them what they are, the enemy. We're watching the enemy walk away, and you can't even say, oh, well, it's all in the name for peace, because they're still shooting at us. And I, I think that, mate, I genuinely think that that is what's fucked so many bo- blokes up. I genuinely do. Yeah, it probably is, mate. Probably is. It's horrible. I hate it even now, you know. I'm seething, mate. I'm <laughs> seething. Yeah. Well, what can you do? There's nothing you can do about it. You Like you say before, you, there's no way of doing it. You can put your, you know, your thoughts across. And I did. I'm, I'm a, I was an extremely verbal <laughs> guy in the battalion. <laughs> I didn't care, you know. I got, I got my, I got my wrist slapped many a time for for speaking out of turn to many people, um, but th- there's no arguing with it. This is happening. It's happening on a level that is way above us. Um, there's no trigger pullers making this uh, judgment call. It's someone in Whitehall, and that's how it's going to happen. Because there's no taste for it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be there. And our American brother, our brothers in America, they they were putting more troops in. At the time, they were influxing more troops into Iraq, into Baghdad, to, to conduct combat operations. And we were pulling out. And we are going, it's all right. It's, it's safe here. And then the Iraqis had to come down with American support to Basra. And and clear out the Jarsha Mahdi themselves. That's, what, that, that, yeah. that's the bit that really gets me, mate, that that they had to come in and do that. It makes me sick with shame, mate. And the thing is, you and me, we didn't make that decision, but we're the ones that have to live with that shame for forever. And I, and it is a shame because the reason I said, because people say, oh, it won't, isn't your fault. I look back on it and no, I say, I, I, we could have turned around and said no. And and we're, we're too, we're, in the British Army, we're too obedient. Because I tell you what, I don't think the Americans would have, I don't think American soldiers would have done that. I don't think they would have done it. I think they would have turned around and said, fuck you, we ain't going. I genuinely think that. I couldn't say. I really couldn't say, but America has the teeth for a fight, and I don't think we do. Uh, not us as an individual. Not as us as individuals, we do, but our command doesn't have it. Do you ever wish... I mean, obviously, you know, you've, I'm, not, I'm not saying you've got your family in the UK and stuff, so I'm not on about that, but from a warrior's point of view, do you ever wish you were born in America? Yeah. Same here. Personal <laughs> point of view. Yeah. It's cool. I love it. I, I've never been. Uh, I'm not allowed to travel. I need to go and get like an interview for me to travel because I've worked in, you know, places on the list. I'm not allowed to go. We did have a we had a trip planned with the family and got told no. You've been on the list. You're on the list. You can't go across yet. Uh, but yeah. Oh, without it's out. Without it's out. I loved working with them. Yeah. They were great. Loves you see it on my Instagram working with US Marines, working to seventh group. Um, Wait, what's, what's seventh group, mate? Uh, Green Beret, oh, Green Beret unit, yeah. So, I've had you know, doing some training with them and, and you like provided training for them, uh, for a test that they had. Uh, great guys, I love working with Americans, love it. They still have a warrior culture, though. I, I believe that they still like you know, you were saying earlier about how like societies used to elevate, like. Fucking, they love the fact that someone shot Bin Laden in the face. They fucking love him. He's a celebrity. 
you know, like, they, like they, they, they have these, like, they have a reverence for the Warriors still because I think they understand that without them, like, they, they know, like, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's to a fault because if you're like, hey, this American committed war crimes, they're like, no, he can't commit war crimes, he's an American soldier, we don't do war crimes. So what well, you fucking do. Um, like, and, and they're so, I think Britain's getting better at it, but they're so good at supporting each other as, like, there's always fucking organisations and companies that are helping out other veterans and lifting them up. And it's because it's a, a patriotic war fighting society it comes down to patriotism that's what it comes down to and and look some of the stuff i find extremely cheesy <laughs> right anyone if anyone went to me oh thank you for your service and um we for what you've done this is why we've got the internet and all this i'm like no it's not <laughs> believe me you'd have the yeah. internet anyway dude all right, I know in the past, and we discussed that before, yeah, that generation of warfighter did when we were the Empire, get that. But these days now, like, you know, thank you for your service. You see it a lot in America, so thank you for your service. I appreciate what you do. This is why we're safe in our country, because you go out and fight and all that. I wouldn't, I'd, I'd be extremely embarrassed if anyone said that to me. I'd be like, I, not an I did has gained you the rights to your freedoms, believe me. I went... <laughs> For personal reasons, not for King Country, I went because my mates wanted to go and fight wars. That's why we went. And they'd probably be a bit fucking weird, though. <laughs> That's why. But I love America. America's like that. They've got that full patriotism support. It's fake patriotism, but they're also still... America is... And it is... I do think it is changing, but it's still a country that loves a winner. And I don't think, I don't think Britain loves a winner. I think we liked, I think Britain has swung more of like, oh, like, who do you think you are? Like, kind of thing if you try and do something different. But America still loves the winner. That's why they have so many books out there by ex Navy SEAL, ex fucking this, ex that. Like, they, they, they like that. They like a winner over there. They like to be on the winning team, which is what I imagine Britain would have been like in the beginning of the last century. I think that's what Britain would have been yeah. like. Um, but like, now, it's not, it's not like, like I said, mate, like you'd be, you'd be kind of embarrassed about it if somebody said it here. You'd think like, oh, this fucker's taking a piss. <laughs> like that, that's what you'd think, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, mate. Yeah, it's, it's it's not for me all that. Yeah, well, like you said, mate, it's not it's not why you do it. But I think as well with America, mate, is there's still it's not that long ago that the country was still like there's still parts in America a hundred years ago where like you couldn't go out. Um, right, riding in the fucking like um in the West without maybe having a fucking fight with a tribe of Indians or maybe a, a a group of bandits or so there was still that 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 knowledge that we need guys who can fight because if we don't have them then we're fucked and that's what we don't have here. Well, I think America had a cause too. They had a cause. Nine eleven. There's your cause. So they have something to rally around where every the whole country can get around it. And the military is the focus. And their previous wars, they never had that. Now they do. Or they did. So we didn't have that. We had, right, we're going to get involved in it because, yeah, Bin Laden's fucking, whatever reason you think what happened at 9-11. I don't want to get into that, but... We didn't have that. We were just like, well, we're going to support America. So our country's like, well, we're going to war. What for? Why are we going to invade this country? And then especially with the dodgy dealings of how we got into Iraq, which are extremely fucking dodgy. Uh, we didn't have no 9-11. They did. So that's why. And I think that there's a legacy of that still now with them. 
where they're extremely supportive of the military and what they do. I agree, mate. And you know what, though? I think that's one of the reasons why, like, especially by the time 2007, Talek 10, plus those uh, Afghanistan tours, most lads were only in the army and the infantry then if you wanted to fucking fight. And like you said, mate, we weren't there because I, I wasn't fucking thinking, oh, this is for the... I thought the Iraq war was a load of shit, but I wanted to fucking fight. And you wanted to fight. And most of the lads that were there, I always say this to people, especially in Afghan, the problem wasn't getting fucking guys to go up on the compound walls, it was getting them down. Oh, that was a nightmare, honestly. Anyway. I just wanted to fight. I want, I want to talk about Afghan, and I want to do another podcast, mate, and talk about Afghan and stuff. So we'll go into that. But just in general, though, I do think that the British, like, the lads that were out there with us, just just a bunch of lads that wanted to fucking scrap. You couldn't keep me still. <laughs> I was with other platoon. If my platoon weren't involved, I was off on my own. I'd go and join the other platoon. I'd have freedom. Freedom of movement. I'm, I'm, I'm off here. Again, like, I'm extremely vocal, and uh, I'm very independent. And I'd be like, right... Everyone squared here? Yeah, she's in a bit. I'll be back in a bit. I'm on the net. And I'd go and join the other platoon because they were in the scrap. <laughs> go, what's going on? And just, my mates would be like, what are you doing here? i go, you're in a scrap. I've come to scrap. Let's go. And Mate, that, that's fucking awesome. That's what I was like out there. It was a great, great time. I, I, do you ever wish that you could go back to it? Like, Because it sounds like you had quite a... a, quite a I'm going to call it a mature head because you could basically... I think you could, you'd identify, quote-unquote, the game... And, I, and how to maneuver around it. Um, I, I was still, even though I, because I, I always said I have a very soft upbringing and I think I was, so I was still like in, in Iraq, I was still in the position of like, oh, I can't rock the boat. I can't question authority and stuff. Whereas like you sound like you didn't, you know, you, you'd kind of got about that. Do you ever wish you could go back to Iraq at the age you are now and do it again? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be different. It'd be different again. Yeah. Again, I've got a, a, it's just experience. So for me, I've done 10 years in the mill before I fired around at someone. It's 10 years of built up knowledge, aggression, uh, enthusiasm for war. So when I finally got there then, my head was switched on. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm in the right place to do this. It was the right time. And then especially then for a year later going to Afghan, I'm like, I'm 28. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a good period. I'm in my prime now and I have a full, a, a better understanding of the battlefield as well. So when things are happening that are that normally you'd be like, oh, what's going on over there? This is shit. You can go, oh, no, no, I understand what's happening here. Having that war, war fighting understanding as, as a broader range because I was experienced just helped me. And then I knew when I could, I knew what boundaries I could push and I knew. And as long as I was safe, I knew I was getting away with it. Mm. <laughs> it's when you're not safe and you do something stupid or get get someone hurt that you, you then start to get reined in or you make a questionable judgment. Um, and I was always very, my judgment calls were always on par. Um, I never killed anyone who never needed to be killed. There was no innocence. And I called it out as well when I seen it happening. Because I've seen things happening that shouldn't have happened. And I call it out. I go, stop that now. Get that stopped. Well, that Let's talk about that, mate, because obviously without throwing anyone under the bus, um, I am quite honest, sick of this fucking mentality the British and American soldiers could do no wrong. Because I tell you what, every fuck, because, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll let me get, I'll, I'll tell listeners, because not everybody follows me on social media. One of the reasons I feel it's important is because right now in America and Britain, I don't think we're I don't think we're fucking a year away from death camps or whatever like that. So don't get me fucking wrong. But however, 
I have seen people using power abusively, people who are British people in uniform. So I believe that that can happen with police in Britain. I believe it can happen with the British military because I've seen it happen in the British military. So I think it's very important that we understand that British military, British police, British politicians are people. And there are some people who will take advantage of situations to inflict harm on other people. Yeah, I've seen it. I've watched it happen. Um, I've watched it with a friend of mine and he, you know, getting into an engagement he didn't need to get in, into and engaging someone he didn't have to engage. But I'll give you a good example of one. So this was Afghan. Uh, this is the one I got involved in over the net and, and stopped happening. Uh, company level up, fighting patrol, uh, moved out under darkness, uh, using the rivers to get into position. Typical fighting patrol, get into a bunch of compounds, bring up some uh, fire support on a, on a hillside on, on some vehicles and then call a Taliban out for a fight. That's what, that was one of our MOs. Get on the microphone, call them out, let them know we're here, let them shoot at us and then we can manoeuvre and engage and, and try and kill and defeat them. Um, I was on, on a flank team or a flank platoon I've seen multiple, I think, multiple, flank, multiple, uh, God, one of the flanks. Pretty quiet for me, but I had a good view of the, of the battlefield in front of me, the battle space. I could see it all. I knew where everyone was, and I, knew, I could see everything happening. I just wasn't directly involved. Um, seeing a guy coming down the road on his bike, push bike. You know what Afghans are like. They'll be shooting, going on, and bombs dropping. But he's got to get to A to B. <laughs> and he'll go, because there's no driving round. He's on his bike. As the crow flies, quickest route for him. And that's what this guy did. And next minute, I just see this all around him get lit up. Dust everywhere with a machine gunner has opened up on him. Guys come off the bike. I'm not sure. I, th I think he was hit. Um, however, he go jumps into the ditch and keeps trying to get out the ditch. And the, every time he tries to get out the ditch, it keeps lighting him up. So I'm on that, and I know who's next to me. It's the OC's party with his OC's protection. Uh, so the HQ element. So one of the gunners from that HQ element, who's meant to be just given local protection, is now getting involved in the fight and just lit up a, an old guy on a bike. This motherfucker's going to work. He's going to feed his family. Without him, no one else is, you know, providing food. I'm not a psycho. I want to fight and kill people, but because I'm a warfighter, I want to fight my enemies, not innocent people. And that's what was happening, an innocent guy. So I just jumped on the net. And obviously the OC's on the net. He's controlling all, because multiple contacts going on. He's controlling it all. And I just got on and butted right in. I was like, check fucking fire now on your call sign. And he's like, what? I'm like, check that call. I said, check that gunner. So you've got a gunner engaging a non-combatant. Check his fire now. Nothing was ever said. No after action report. I was never brought, you know, when we got back to the fob, what happened there? Why'd you check and fire? Just got left. Done. Disgusting. You don't need to do that. Did it. And I, I stayed on target then that, uh, in that position till nightfall and extracted it at night. And he never moved, never got out. I got uh, thermal on him. No. Uh, normal uh, nods on. I put my nods on, couldn't see him. Um, so, mate, he could have crawled out yeah. the ditch, you know, or crawled away 100 metres and I lost him in, in the trees and stuff because it's close country. But for the whole period to be there, 
he never he never come out of that ditch that I seen. And could have he have been an illegal killing? Yeah, it could have been. He could have got away and crawled away. So that's my caveat to that one. <laughs> he could have carried out, but yeah, people just abusing the position. I won't even call that a fog of war either. That's not fog of war. That's poor judgment and not identifying your target. That's basic infantry skills. And I'll tell you this, mate. I know people and I've seen people try and pop off rounds at, at civvies. And they're the, they're, I guarantee you, they're the people that never would fucking be sticking their if there's a, If there's incoming fire, they wouldn't be sticking their heads up. If there, was someone, if there was an IED to be gone and fucking confirmed, they wouldn't be the people saying, I'll go and confirm it. They were the cowards. And they, they were the cowards. And, and, that, and that's another thing as well, mate. Like, you have got, I do, like I said, I believe the British soldier, man for man, that we had in Iraq and Afghanistan was man for man the best soldier on the planet. I genuinely fucking believe that. And that's not out of patriotism. That's just out of like, I've watched a lot of, I've watched a lot of fucking combat videos and stuff like that since. I genuinely think we are. I genuinely think that we fucking are. Um, and, you know, I, and but there were people there and it might only be one in a company. But there were people there who were there to abuse power and were there to, they were, they were, I, I'm like you, mate. I want to kill the enemy and I lose sleep over the fucking shots that I missed and stuff like that. I, but like, but that's killing the enemy. It's not killing for killing. And there were some people there who were there for killing. They weren't interested in someone that could shoot back. They were there for killing for the sake of killing. Yeah. I think also, let's add on to that then. I think the ones I've seen, it's the guys who are not always directly involved in the fight. So, like, you got your HQ guy. So, and I don't know which guy it was. Didn't inquire about it. But he was part of the OC's party. So, he's a HQ guy. So, he's always in the centre. He's not out doing any of the scrapping. He's just there as the protection party. Um, a mate of mine in Iraq, who he, he was the sniper. And he hadn't engaged anyone yet. And that was his thing. It was ah, fucking hell. Everyone else has fucking shot them. Fucking shot someone. <laughs> shot the rifle and shot anyone. Yeah. So I had to. I, had to, I just dropped him. I, I thought he was. I thought he had something. Ah, come on. Did you really? So I think sometimes it's them type of people as well. Um, and then you've got, like you say, the abuse of power. People get accustomed to shooting people, and then people's judgments starts to slack because no one questions it. Because why? Because I'm in a fob in the middle of nowhere. No one's on my back. I'm out on my own with my team. If I shoot someone, no one's going to say nothing. What's going to be said? It's me and the team. I go, yeah, he has a weapon. Where's that weapon? I don't know. I didn't go and check. Too dangerous. Pulled off. So people can just get away with stuff. You know what the fucks me off the most, mate, was people shooting animals. Oh, yeah. Don't like that. Why, that. Why, 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 are you, why are you shooting an animal? Now, now, not only is it fucking cruel, but... You've just lost the fucking support of that family now. And they're not going to tell you. When we go down there now, and there's an ID there, and they know that you fucking... They, they, they're not stupid. The Afghans, especially. They've lived under war. They know that if there's a contact happening to the north, and their donkey gets shot in the west, that that was some dickhead soldier. They know that. So they're, gonna, they're not telling you about that fucking ID the next time you come through. So, like, yeah, okay, you, you, you shot a donkey, good for you. And now next time you come through, one of the lads might go on with no legs. Almost had to shoot a dog that was the size of me. <laughs> Fucking scary dog, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I was didn't Afghan, do it. They had some big dogs. The hound, one of Afghan hounds, it was like, it was yeah. like six foot and it came out of nowhere. Whoa. A big, big furry Godzilla. We fucking, and then he drilled him and I was like, right, everyone get away. This is a monster. And we, we backed off and walked away. He was, 
it, it, you'd have had to have shot him because he was dangerous, big dangerous hound. But he wants to shoot an animal, would you? What, what buzz you get out of that? That's a lunatic who does things like that. <laughs> it's just a, it's a, it's a matter of being sporting, isn't it, mate? Like at the end of the day, like I would, like I've always said this about like I would, I wouldn't have wanted to go like I've, you know, obviously we've had, you know, we've handled prisoners and stuff. Might have been a bit rough with them, but if you do, if someone had said to me, "All oh, right, now we're going to take them all out the back and shoot them all," I'd be like, well, "Hang on a minute, I'm not sure." Like, where's that's that's where's that's not very really sporting, like I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, but like, do you know what I mean, mate? Like, so I don't like look like you said earlier. It's a great feeling to know that, like, the boys have pulled out some fucking guy from his bed and he shit his pants and he's fucking crying and he's shivering. That's a great feeling because that's a fucking bad guy. Well, Yobi's a bad guy, might not, might just be the wrong guy. But like, je- je- but generally speaking, that's an amazing feeling to know that you've just made the enemy feel like that. But like, I I can't watch these videos of people getting executed and stuff, mate, because I'm just like. That's just that's bullying to me. It's bullying. Like you've you, you've become the bully. I don't like it. Um, I don't like any videos of death no more. Um, don't like seeing it. Don't like looking at it. I, I can't abide it. You know, someone sent me something on a phone. Did get a, a severe message or a phone call back. Don't send that to me. Um, there's a period of time where people are sending like death videos and beheading videos, and I've seen a lot of it now, and as in in real life and. The thing for me is people die in these combat situations, in, in these aggressive situations. They die, I've always said they die with fear on the face, with trauma. They're traumatized. Everyone I've seen up close died with a fa- face, with tra- a traumatic face on them. And so I respect that death now. I respect death. And I respect death from that sort of violent nature. So I don't want to see it. And if you're not accustomed to it, you've got no right to be looking at it either. I agree. If you if you're not part of it, you've not had the privilege to go out and have the right to kill another human, then you shouldn't be looking at stuff like that. Uh, if you've not put it on the line yourself, you shouldn't be looking at it. Um, I hate that. I hate them with a passion, mate. And I say everyone I've seen it's traumatized, and that's why I was always like, you know, I hope I don't die myself. You know, oh, I hope I don't. I'm like, don't want to be getting, you know, dying that sort of manner because I don't want to have that traumatic face either. Don't want to have my last thoughts. However, your brain works when you die, whether you just switch off a what or when you, you die with a traumatic look on your face. It's not good. I'd rather <laughs> discuss me. No, I mean, my, my, my thing is like, I've got nothing against watching combat footage to learn. Because at the end of the day, like you can learn a lot watching this combat footage, right? You really can. But you're not learning anything from watching a fucking uh, someone get executed, and you're not proving anything either. In fact, I think less of you if you watch that stuff. I, I like if you watch that stuff, I think you're a fucking. Ca- I, I'm not gonna. We, there's there's been a point where everyone's looked at it at once, right? Or whatever. We've all made mistakes. But if you're regularly watching that, because I'll follow combat pages and stuff, and as soon as they post execution video, I'm out. And it's not because I can't handle watching it. It's because. You, like you said, mate, like you're a 15-year-old kid with a, a page or something. Go and put yourself on the fucking line. Go and go and risk being that person in that video. Go and risk that person getting their head sawn off. If you go out there and do that, you're not going to think of it the same way, I, I fucking guarantee you. So if you're a young lad listening to this now, a young lady, stop watching that fucking shit because it's it's cowardly and it will it will turn you into a coward. And that person that's in that video... They've done more in life. That that person might have been a warrior that lost a fight. They deserve more dignity. You've done nothing to earn the right to watch that person's death. 
So just stop, fucking stop it. Exactly. And we have more respect for it because we've been around it and we've had the privilege. So you have that, you generally have more respect for it and you're like, well, actually, I don't need to see that. I know what it's like. I know what it looks like. I don't need to see it no more. So you have a healthy respect for death, I think. Um, and you, you sort of understand it far more than most people. And I think that goes for animals too, mate, because like, I don't know about you, but like, now, if I see, don't get me wrong, I still eat meat, right? Because I do believe in the food chain and stuff. But if I go out for a walk now and there's a fucking snail in the middle of the road, I'm picking that fucker up and moving him off the side of the road, you know what I mean? Because it's like you understand life. Yeah. Well, we're in the countryside and last night me and my wife were driving home and there was two little, there were two baby uh, pheasants crossing the road and she's like, stop the car! Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, fuck it, I am. <laughs> so I got excited there. You didn't see me. But yeah, I'm like, wow. And they just like, the lights went on, a little horn. You know, any other person maybe just boom, drove over them because you see them all the time, knocked over in the road. Yeah. Uh, but my wife's like, hit the brakes. Fucking st- stomp the brakes and we were good. Mate, we got to fucking do another one of these and talk about Afghan and you've got loads of stories for your fucking bullet magnet. But, um, like, just uh, let people know where they can find you and what, what you've got going on that people can follow and get involved in. Okay. Um, so you can jump on my Instagram, which is the Hostile Operator. Um, that was set up for the podcast. So I have a podcast. I don't do as many as you or as many as <laughs> the other guys who are putting them out uh, because I had a podcast previously and I hammered it like 100 odd episodes in no time and I got sick of it. So I'm very choosy and I'm choosing when I, when I, when I put them out for good content. Um, I just don't want to get bored with it. But I set up the Instagram page to support that, which has took on its own little life of its own now. So you can check me out on there. I offer support to people with advice about getting in on the circuit. You know, pretty much 10 years on the circuit I've done all over. So I offer advice on there. I do a Sunday live Instagram session with on my own talking about, you know, different tactics or, you know, life getting on the circuit. And sometimes I'll have people on live, join me live, just log in and you can join me and we can chat about stuff. So I've got that going on. Also, um, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Submission Grappling. Been fighting for 10 years. Um, I have my own gym called ASW Liverpool. You can check us out on Instagram there for all things Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Submission Grappling, Muay Thai, MMA. Um, the coaching staff on there are superb um, in the gym. We've got Kev. Uh, top level submission grappler, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. He's he's in there in the gym with us. And we got we just brought in Lee, uh, the butcher Chadwick, the Bellator fighter. He's taking over our MMA program, just starting, or was just starting due to COVID. All classes are off right now, but we got a, a toply top heavy, experienced uh, team uh, at the gym teaching fighting. So you can get me on then. If you want to get in touch with me i answer everybody people go oh, i can't believe you answered me back you know you, you answered me message everybody if you're sensible i answer and, I, and i'll answer your question if i can so, yeah hello mate um i'll fucking come up to the gym mate after all this fucking covid bollocks as well come in strangle I've, someone i've won mate well you know to be honest mate since basically i've not been able to have a sex life this year it's been a long time since i've strangled someone i'm quite kind of yeah. quite quite look forward to coming in mate but mate fucking like i i, I want to vouch for the you've got one of my favorite instagram accounts you always put some you got some mega you've got great battlefield fashion is what i fucking respect about you mate you know how to rock some battlefield fashion <laughs> 
So, um, <laughs> but no, you've so got a lot of good posts on there, mate. So I, I, I enjoy following you on Instagram, which Thank is obviously you, how we got to, to follow each other. But let's do another one of these sometime, mate, if you're not sick Perfect. of no, podcasts. No, awesome. Uh, can I just have one thing, if you don't mind? Yeah. Uh, with, the, with the gym I have, ASW Liverpool, what we do, we set up, um, uh, I'm quite aware of the mental health uh, mental health stresses that veterans have, uh, whether it's post-traumatic stress, um, where there's some form of mental stress you've got, that what we do is we've got a pro, we set up a program. So I believe fighting, grappling can be a good outlet for guys who are struggling. Um, physical side of it, for the mental side of it, it, it all helps. Um, so what I do is, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, if you are struggling, some form of PTS or any sort of mental stress, you can get in touch with me and I'll train you privately for nothing. You get in touch with me, I'll figure me, me schedule around. You come in with me and have a few one-to-ones, just me and you, on your own. Like a sort of, you know, little, like instead of going to see a doctor on your own, you come and train with me. Teach you some things we can talk because I'm a vet, so I know about this sort of stuff. I did a year of of uh, from after being injured myself. I did a year with the docs, you know, making sure I was clear and all that. So I've got experience in that, and we can just chat. It's free. I'm not doing it to sell sell a membership to the gym. I don't want no money. I just want to help you. Um, I linked up with Warriors RV um, and pushed it through them. Um, so they put us as like a, an official Warriors RV. So if, if anyone does want to learn sort of they can go to their channels because i know they help a lot of veterans who are struggling uh, if you're in the area with west lanks uh so northwest of england if you if you are struggling you want a, a challenge you feel like this could because benefit you mentally then just get in touch with me and i'll come and teach you for nothing uh one-to-one with no one else and if you like it then you can join the team and train with the lads that's awesome mate. top man Thank you. So, man. Well, bro, thanks for coming on today, mate. I really enjoyed the fucking... Step, brother. Really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you so much. I did too. And I want to say uh, shout out. Did you see the t-shirt there as well? I want to say shout out to our friends at Red Court Apparel. Shout out because we know we're not doing videos at the moment, so I want to make sure that still gets seen. So shout out to the Red Coat guys, mate. Thanks so much for coming out. Um, I've always wanted to have a chat with someone from uh, Four Rifles. Well, we've had a bit of a chat and stuff online and stuff before because um, I feel like. I feel like we went through kindred experiences of, of sorts. Like I'm saying, you had, I'm not going to say I wasn't in four rifles. I, I think you guys got the other end of the stick and B Company to your Welsh. But I think um, I'm glad you're out there talking about this stuff, mate, because as, as we, you know, we go through, we start getting older. I do not want people to forget about Telic 10, Telic 9. I think, I think it's, it's, it's a crime. It's a, it's a crime. The, not more people know what it was like, so we'll we'll do more of these, mate. I'm really I'm really keen on on especially the younger the youngsters listening to 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 know more about it, mate. And and like I said, I recommend everyone goes and follows your Instagram. So cheers, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Pete. Take care. Bye bye. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. John, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, it was really cool to speak with someone that was with Four Rifles Battle Group. Um, like we went through so much kind of operations and, and experiences together. It's it's really, really cool to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to having you back on the pod because we've got a lot more to talk about. Uh, guys, please go and support John. Uh, please go and take him up on his offer, uh, his very kind offer. Uh, I think that's proof that he is a top bloke. Um, thank you, Zulu Alpha Straps. Thank you, Combat Fuel. And thank you, the Royal British Legion. Podcast does not happen without them, guys. I mean that. Um, all I would ask of you guys... You might not think that you need the British Legion now, but you never know what's going to come up. And four, what is it? Four warned is four armed, something like that. Something there's a four in there somewhere. Uh, if you go to Royal British Legion, uh, rbl.org, 
uh, or at Royal British Legion. Everything's in the show notes, guys. Just go on there and have a look. Like, what have you got to lose? by going and having a look on there what the Royal British Legion have to offer you. Because it might just come up in conversation that someone's like, oh, mate, I'm starting a business and I can't get a loan. And you'll be like, mate, I checked out Royal British Legion. I know because you're a veteran that they can square you right away. So check them out, guys. You don't know um, what's going to come of it, right? You never know. Get this information in now before you need it. Um, And, yeah, guys, just really thanks. Really thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing everything. I'm really, um, especially in this kind of time of, you know, we're coming through that period of remembrance. It really makes me, um, really makes me thankful that we have a community going here. Um, I I, I love the way that you guys are supporting each other, offering each other help, offering each other, supporting each other's businesses, supporting each other's pages, supporting each other's ventures and adventures. Um, It's fucking awesome to see, guys. It, It really is. I keep saying that the veteran community is, people slag it off. Fuck off. Bollocks. Veteran community is strong. There's a lot that we can do for each other. Thank you so much for doing it, and I'll catch you next time. I love you, bye. You told me not to worry, and you wouldn't break my heart. You told me you were sorry, yeah, my whole world fell apart. You said it's not my fault, and yeah, I've never done you wrong. I'm grinding to a halt, now I can see you're moving on. I promised I'd get better, and I told you things would change. You keep me to the gutter, yeah, I'll never be the same. I've got to let you go, now live your life and spread your wings, and yeah, you put on quite a show and pulled the puppet strings. And are you sure that you don't want me? Remember all the pain, or maybe you should thank me. It's your loss and my Again. I'm leaving now forever, I won't hang my head in shame But yeah, you've taken me for granted, and you should feel ashamed You sold a dream to all of us, a dream that we'd all die for A reason for us all to live and something we could fight for I might just help a man up to his feet or hold a newborn But no matter what I do, my hands remembering my rifle, yeah Life's hard, I know that, still wouldn't change shit I wouldn't go back, yeah, I wouldn't go back Feelings I hold back Memories fade, yeah, they go fast, yeah, they go fast Good times to come and go, survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step, I guess, yeah, I suppose Good times to come and go, survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step, I guess, yeah